And we're live. Darren, it's fair to say you're a bit nervous, are you? It's more than fair to say I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> I'm absolutely breaking it here. <laughs> Why? Well, I'm afraid of what I'm going to say. I'm afraid that my words will just turn to mush and my tongue will just melt and I'll just end up going blah, blah, blah for and the next two hours and it'll be incomprehensible crap. Like that, incomprehensible. Is that even a word? <laughs> and when you're in your day-to-day life when you're chatting to your missus or your kids or your boss or you know, you're getting on a bus or you're buying something in the shop, do you sit in the car? Like when you, when you pull into a shop to buy something, do you sit in the car for five minutes building up the courage to go in and ask your one for the paper or whatever it is? I suppose not. So no. what's different? I'm probably getting told to stop talking. <laughs> so what's different about this though? Ah, it's it's the mic in your face that's like <laughs> about, what less than six inches away from my face. Yeah, well, it's just pretty much sucking everything out of my mouth. If you've ever watched something like a chat show, like the, the Late Late or something like that, you'll notice that there isn't mics in people's faces. They have little lavalier mics that are clipped on, and. I've often thought about the idea of getting those in to kind of alleviate the kind of microphone in your face anxiety. But one thing that I find is kind of cool about them is it kind of focuses you a little. It reminds you that, I don't know, see, the little bit of anxiety is good. Would you, do you know where I'm coming from with that? Like, Oh, well, anxiety is a great thing. It can make you feel alive. Like, once you get past the anxiety, there's always a buzz on the other side of it, another bit of excitement. So it's like, it's like a wall you have to get past. Like, you're only anxious about stuff if you're afraid of something. And once you've realised that the fear is nothing, then you kind of get a buzz out, I, th- I think. There's a bit of excitement, you know. Okay, that was nothing. Let's do it again. Like, if you're going on a, on a huge slide in a water park, you're always anxious walking up to the top. But when you get up to the top, you're looking down and you go, this is, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like I was about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> but now I've jumped, jumped off the slide. I'm still at the bit at the start where I'm going, oh, oh, hang on, I'm, is there any way of stopping this? But then once I get down the bottom and we get to the end, I'm sure I might be like, yeah, that was nothing. Want to go back up again? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it's cool. I, th- I think anxiety kind of gets a bad rap to a degree, especially these days when we're all so maybe uber focused on our emotional well-being and our mental health. And do you know that kind of way? Anxiety is this big, bad wolf that, you know, you should. I don't know. There just seems to be a kind of a, a narrative that you shouldn't have anxiety in your life and you should do everything you can to like avoid it and keep it clear. But yeah, you hit a good point there, I think. Yeah, well, like... And I don't mean to dismiss people who have genuine anxiety mm. and like serious depression issues or anything. Of course, of course. But like, yeah, a little bit of anxiety isn't a bad thing. You know, you can be anxious but not be clinically depressed. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's interesting because Joy Booth was supposed to come on the podcast, I think it was a fortnight ago, and with the snow, she the buses weren't travelling so she couldn't get here. Then the following week, I think we were in the hospital with the baby so hopefully she's going to come on next week but she said something I thought was pretty cool she said I asked her was she looking forward to it and she said that she was what, what did she say she said that she was excited and terrified in equal measure and there's something really cool about that and I think it's you hit the nail on the head there it's that kind of the utility of anxiety to a degree like yeah well that's the way I felt that's exactly how I felt and I, I'm still feeling now but it's fading it is fading as we're doing this now but up until about 10 minutes before this 10 seconds you could have asked me are you excited I would have been yeah absolutely 
then another 10 seconds you could ask me, are you terrified? And I'd be shitting a brick. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool though, and fair play to you, because I think you reached out to me originally with a message on Facebook. Am I saying this right, that you reached out and said basically just, you know, fair play, listen to a podcast or something, and yeah. well done. Yeah, was, yeah, like you've put yourself out there. You've actually said, I'm going to do something, you're doing it. So I think, like... Anybody who's doing that deserves a bit of support. Deserves a pat on the back to say, you know what, fuck them, go and do it yourself. Do it. And speaking of people who've kind of decided to put themselves out there and set themselves up for a fall, if to put it maybe not in the best <laughs> words, <laughs> but you set up something and launched it more or less only today. Is that a coincidence or presumably is just a coincidence? It is a bit of a coincidence. I've been trying to launch it for the last week. Um so what I have launched is uptheroad.ie, which is a cycling blog. Um, yeah, it's based around uh, just a, me being an average cyclist. Uh, I don't excel at anything, really. So it's just about me being an average cyclist, racing every weekend, and just the, the mental mindfuck that is bike racing. You, you said it there, bike racing. I have a bike. And I, I cycle, I've competed in triathlons and, and other things, and I, I, you know, I, I like the bike. But I've never raced, and I don't get racing. Like my, only, my only interaction with racing is when I'm trying to drive somewhere on a Sunday and there's half a dozen fuckers taking up the road in front of me and I'm effing and blinding in the car behind me. <laughs> so is that you and your mates, or, or who is that, or what is bike that, racing? That could, that could be me and my mates. If there's <laughs> sirens on the car, it more than likely is me and my mates. But on a Sunday morning, it's more than likely... Fat men in Lycra going for scones, <laughs> tipping out the road, coming back, getting away from their wife. Middle-aged men in Lycra, the mammal. The mammal. The mammal. <laughs> Middle-aged men in Lycra. Oh, I like that. Nice. Yeah. And your... Lycra doesn't look good in anybody, by the way. You are, sorry? Lycra doesn't look good in anybody. <laughs> Very true. So I know by looking at you that you're not one of those guys. So you're, you're racing. You're I not was just... one of those guys. Most people start off racing as a middle-aged man in Lycra who gets sick of going stopping for scones on a Sunday morning and say, you know, I want something more here. And what what is that? Is that a competitive streak or...? I am ridiculously competitive. <laughs> like, if, like if, we're, if I'm going to bed at night and my wife tells me that she's brushed her teeth before me, I am furious. <laughs> right. That's how competitive it gets. And is that... How has that manifested itself throughout your life? Like, presumably that would make you quite, what, confrontational would it or like is that I don't know uh, probably earlier in life I would have been confrontational not so much anymore I've kind of got over myself kind of a one-upmanship type thing or I've never won anything from <laughs> anything that must be a bit stressful though is it like if you haven't won anything and you're like really competitive yeah I just want to win something once that's all and it is a bit stressful it is and that's why I wrote the blog because if I'm thinking that and I'm feeling stressed because I want, really want to win, but I'm not really getting there. Like, surely there's somebody else out there who's thinking the exact same way. Yeah, no, I'd be very much of that opinion. And having this platform and, and talking to people for you know hours on end and, and publishing it has made me really kind of realise that because I'm getting messages from people who are basically saying, I thought I was a bit weird thinking that, but hearing you say it, it's like, oh, maybe I'm not a fucking lunatic after all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we are all very similar. Like we all very. we all have the same buttons. We all have like anxiety. We all have excitement. We all have terrifying thoughts and all this kind of stuff. So like, none of us is any different than the other. 
we are in the same country like we have the same mindset we have the same culture so we're all going to think the same yeah we're all related <laughs> pretty much pretty, yeah. do you know what I mean like I mean we all have that what do they call it Luca the last universal common ancestor like we do and that's going back billions of years but we do uh, like in Europe say unless you're you know ethnically diverse generally speaking you're you're not that far removed from anybody in Europe really like I mean we all came from the kind of same places anthropo- anthropologically speaking or evolutionary, evolutionarily speaking, we all we are all the same species. We are all interlinked, and as you say, we come from the same culture. We listen to the same music. We watch the same TV programs. We all have the same jobs, kind of to a degree. Yeah. Um. So it, it makes perfect sense that we would be very similar, not the same, but very similar. Um. Exactly. Yeah. But when did you get the idea to do this, or when did you start writing it? Well, I started writing last year. Um, I've been racing for probably three years now. And I started writing it last year pretty much because I was going to these races, not doing very well, and trying to figure out, well, what am I actually doing here? Like, I'm like, trying to get over that stress of, of actually racing, because you're, you're racing around roads that, like, you could be at 60, 70 kilometers an hour in a bunch of 20 people, and next thing, a bomb goes off, pretty much, two lads collide together, and everybody's on the ground. Like, there's a stress of that happening every week. So, like, I was just trying to get down on paper my thoughts, and uh, basically, when I come home from races as well, my wife wouldn't listen to me talking about it, so I had to get it down somewhere, so I talked <laughs> to myself pretty much. So I spent a lot of time talking to myself <clears throat> in the car, on my own, like a nut job. Uh, th- there's something in that, though, because we all have that that internal dialogue. We like we all co- we all talk to ourselves constantly, 24 hours a day. We, we yeah. all do it, like, and I think a lot of people... Because nobody ever talks about that, people maybe think they're weird for doing it. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, because you always have that tell, like you know, ah, he's a bit odd. He's been talking to himself. It's like, what's all that about? But it's not mad though. The the difference between somebody, put it this way, we all talk to ourselves twenty four hours a day in our heads. That little internal dialogue, it's always there. It's constantly there. And if you lose the ability to filter that, so if you if you if you can't if you lose the ability to not vocalize that and you you if you let me start that again if you vocalize your internal dialogue like if you actually said all those thoughts out loud out loud you'd be a certified crazy person <laughs> i used to always say to my dad because he does a lot and i used to always say to my dad the first sign of madness is when you talk to yourself so can you please shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> well, we do and she does think I'm mad because I, I would talk out loud I'd be, I would talk to myself out loud every so often she'll catch me like I'd be in washing the dishes and she'll come home early from work or whatever and I'd be just washing the dishes I wouldn't realise I'm talking out loud and the next minute I'll hear is are you alright <laughs> from behind me like, and I was like why and she's like you're there having a full blown fucking conversation with yourself like, oh shit sorry but um, so look we all do and I think fair play to you because there's so many people out there who've wanted to do something or, you know, it, it takes a bit of fucking balls to go out and do it. But getting back to the, actually how you get into cycling. So when did the cycling end of it start? I'll jump back before we, you started the blog. Um, have you been cycling forever for years or what, what brought you into it? Or? No, no, no. That's the thing. I'm not one of these people who like basically came out of the womb pulling wheelies or like, I haven't been cycling all my life. <laughs> I used to be terrified of bikes. I hated them. Um, I wasn't a very good cyclist when I was younger. Like, uh, and then I was played football for like about 14 years and according as the 14 years went on I started to realise 
I don't really have the skills to play football. And when you say football, Gaelic football? Soccer. Or? Okay, Sorry. soccer. Um, yeah, so I like. I don't really have the skills to play soccer. And soccer is a very kind of judgmental sport, in my opinion. Because you're always at the mercy of a manager. Unless you're actually good enough. Like, I was always, like, particularly in the later years, I was always the guy who turned up training Tuesday, Thursday night, go to the game on Saturday and sit on the bench. Right. I was never really good enough. But I never give up. I'd always keep going. I don't know why. I just maybe it's a bit of self punishment or whatever. <laughs> but I always, I, but I, even in that, like in my mentalness, I was always thinking in those years. You know what? If I just got a run of games, I could, I could do great things. Like I could actually, you know, get that call up. But I never, like I never did, and I was always terrible at football. Even when I got on, like when I got on, I could, I could train Tuesday and Thursday night and be fine and be like. Ronaldinho or whatever of the MDL but then I get on on a Saturday and as soon as I get on that pitch it was like tunnel vision complete blackout I was shit and I shit myself and anytime the ball came over near me I didn't want to see it so I needed a sport that didn't involve getting picked or being put on a, a pitch in front of 20 other people yeah because you're very much on display in a football pitch as well but the, what you said there about being picked you're there's, some, there's something that I really hate about that. Your your destiny is in the hands of someone else yeah. to a degree. Yeah, it's you're, not constantly, like... you're constantly being judged. Yes. So you do something wrong on a football pitch. There's like any amount of people. There's twenty two. There's 21 other players on the pitch who are going to go, fuck me, what is he at? There's guys on the sideline going, what the fuck are you at? And then you're coming off the pitch. And then, and then if you are on the pitch, there's always a chance that you're going to get reefed off because you're not good enough. <laughs> We all love when that happens. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, it's full of judgment. And it's yeah. just like, oh, I needed to get away from that because it was just not good for my mental health at all. Yeah, no, and it makes perfect sense because, like, you get you get reefed off in a game because you're, you know, it's it's like, stop, everybody stop. This lad's shit yeah, and yeah. has to do the walking shame. Guy. Come off, on. Like, you know, Come on. and then your, your, your counterpart kind of runs by full of the joys of springtime yeah. and gives you a thumbs up and you're like, Fuck you. Yeah, puts the ball in the top in the top <laughs> corner in the first minute when he, as soon as he comes on. Yeah, it's like, yeah. ah, see, I told you it was shit. We should have had this other guy on from the start. Yeah, no, absolutely. And even like I remember I would have played a lot of team sports. I played rugby, played hurling, played football, played soccer, played played them all over the years. And one thing that I hated was if you if you lost or even if you won, but more so when you lost you know, the, the backs didn't do their job or midfield wasn't there or the goalie let in a goal or the striker lost a state or you could always kind of blame somebody else. Yeah, do you it's know that full kind of, of critics. It's full of critics. Even watch football on TV, it's always full of critics. Like, Twitter has just exploded now. Like, like football with Twitter is just the ultimate toxic environment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of that loop, is it? Like, oh, I've worked It's like. horrible. Like, it's horrible. And it, like fans, even the idea of being a fan of a football team, it's just a life of misery. Like, you're hating somebody for liking a football club that's 30 miles away from another football club in another country. Yeah. That has no connection to you. Yeah, But no, you absolutely. hate that other person because he lives in Liverpool and you live in Manchester or whatever. Like, like it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And then people go on Twitter and they're like, oh, I hate Man United. I can't say anything good about Man United ever because I support <laughs> Liverpool, which is ridiculous. Like, like, obviously Man United have good footballers. But if you're a Liverpool supporter, you'd never ever admit that they're good footballers. Yeah, it's so much for the love of the sport. Like, yeah, it's just, I just find it ridiculous. Like, Twitter, I think has a, has a lot to answer for in society. <laughs> Are you on Twitter? 
I am on Twitter, yeah. But do you do you uh, do you tweet say? Do you add to it like? Yeah, yeah, I do tweet to be honest, and I've tried to pull back. I had a friend who said to me I had a friend who said to me, you know, if you wouldn't say it on the altar, don't put it on social media. And you, it's the truest thing I've ever heard. If you wouldn't say it on the altar, don't put it on social media. Yeah. That's an like, If you don't one. feel like getting up and saying it in public, don't hide behind like whatever a firewall or whatever or stick it out there somewhere. I don't know firewall is probably not the wrong thing. but no no I know what you mean don't yeah, hide behind the computer or yeah, yeah, and, yeah and stick it out there and abuse people like because there is a lot of abuse on Twitter like people think they can just say anything and there is a thing called uh, I don't know what it's called it's called uh, it's got basically like web inhibition disorder or something like that yeah so it's, it's something like that or basically distance, people distance themselves so they become a completely different person once they go on to social media yeah, no, absolutely, because you don't have that those those social cues aren't there. Like, if 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 you're in a bar, let's say, or whatever, and you say something smart to the guy beside you, he'll turn around and he'll fucking look at you as if to say, you know, what would you're fucking saying? Yeah, basically, how fucking dare you? Who the fuck are you? Yeah, but I've never met you before. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck should they care? Like, imagine having a conversation in a pub. Like, like imagine we're having a conversation now, and someone sticks their egghead in, like it is on Twitter. Little egghead pops in and goes. Yeah. Stop talking shy, Frano. You dickhead. You'd be like, <laughs> fuck are you? Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's uh, there's something there. I remember reading something about um, the guys who fly drones for the for the US military. Like, they're sitting in an office in San Francisco or somewhere, and they're flying these up drones, and like they're dropping bombs on fucking whatever they're dropping on. It could be a fucking hospital or a fucking school or whatever the fuck it is. But because they're they're kind of dis, is it disassociated with it or they're they're one or two or ten steps removed from it and it just becomes pedestrian. You know you don't really care. So there's there's a we there's a weirdness there. Money is the same. We we don't if you're if you're removed from handing cash over to something like you you'll go online and you'll buy something for fifty quid. But if you had to hand the guy the fifty euro for us, oh, maybe stop. not so much. You know, it's it becomes too easy. Chip and pin has ruined my life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because like, you don't see the loss in your wallet. Do yeah, but even if you go onto the cycling websites now, and I'm sure it's the same for Amazon and other ones, you don't even have to put in your number anymore. Oh one click. One click. You've you've already saved your number. You've already said, you know what? I'm going to give every penny I have to this guy. <laughs> so it's like, you don't even have to second thought when you're putting in your number or you're, you don't even go, you know, oh, I'm not putting in my address again. And then you yeah. go, oh, you know, I don't need those the golden shoes. I'll, uh, I'll leave it for today. But now it's like, I know, I might get that. Oh, hang on, no, I'll just click. Oh no, I've got it. Oh no, what am I going to do now? I've no money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's something about what you said there about writing in your address. If you're thinking to yourself, oh, I couldn't be arsed putting in my email address and my bank card number and my delivery address. Well, usually when I get the address, I know this is actually going to my house. My wife's going to see this. <laughs> I better not do this. <laughs> but it's mad though, because like online retailers, they've engineered it to take all those little things like, you know, the, the thought that pops into your head about your wife seeing it they've already thought about that and that's why we've got down to just you know a click or a swipe or whatever for a purchase because there's what's the term oh, I can't think of the name there's, there's an actual name of it for um, why people jump off like if you've got a 10 step process to, to buy something people are jumping off at 4 or 5 so you reduce that as much as you possibly can and you it's the it's like a perpetual impulse buy so when you're queuing at the at the till in the shop and you pick up the packet of chewing gum or whatever it is that's at the till, that's twenty four hours now. It's on your phone, it's on your laptop screen, it's it's everywhere like. But um 
It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It is very dangerous. And then you end up with a pile of shit at home that you don't fucking need. <laughs> yeah, true. And we'll get into that as well because cyclists tend to do that more than most. We do a lot pile of... Pile up shit. Yeah, a but lot. getting back again round to where we were, so not a cyclist, played a bit of football, a good bit of football, a lot of football for years, was it? Yeah, a lot of football. I used to play with Cosmos in town. But I was That's ne- a high level, is it? Yeah. Uh, no. Well, relatively speaking. It's not, it, not five-a-side. I played at Cosmos and I was on the Cosmos team when they weren't at a high level. And then when they started to get better and better, I started to get further and further away from actually playing. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, uh, a good thing in hindsight for the sounds of things because you love your cycling. I do love my cycling. I used to love my football. I used to be obsessed with it. Like, I get obsessed with things very, very easily. And I was obsessed with it to the point where probably in 2002, 2003... I could probably name you the starting eleven of every Premier League team. Jesus. I was that obsessed with it. I would watch Watford versus Fulham on a Wednesday night, and then I'd watch another game on a Thursday night, and then I watch the games at the weekend. I'd say your wife I didn't loves have, you. Well, my <laughs> wife wasn't there at the time. That's probably why. That's probably why I got I watched so much. But I I get so obsessed with things like like I'm an obsessive compulsive dabbler. You could say I dabble yeah, in yeah, everything. Yeah. But when I once I latch onto something, I'll just go with it and just. I want to know everything about it. Everything. And it's ridiculous. And what, what you know, when you, did you say you're done with soccer and start looking for something else or did you start cycling while you were playing soccer? Like, what was the transition between soccer and cycling? Like? Um, well, I suppose, like, I, I went travelling in 2008, so that kind of put an end to the soccer. For, put a break in it, really. Okay. And uh, when we came back, uh, I did try to get back into it. Uh but I had kind of, I suppose, found that there was more important things in life than actually chasing football around the pitch and not getting picked to do that either. So <laughs> so it just kind of faded away. And um, I suppose then I kind of, I just looking for something to do. I did a bit of running. kind of don't really like running. Don't really like that kind of being out of breath from like the start gun. Like, yeah. hated that. So, uh yeah, my brother-in-law gave me a, an old hybrid bike and said, go on out on it. And uh, one of my friends, uh, he wanted, he was pretty big into it. He started cycling as well. So it just kind of got started that way, kind of. So. And did the two of you go out together? Or like, like what kind yeah, of distances? Yeah. Were you just doing a lap in Avon? Or, you know, were you going Yeah, well, originally, yeah, yeah. Actually, the first time I went out on the bike, I went from Johnstown up to Taranary and back in, which is probably, what, 10, 15K. And I thought I was an absolute hero. <laughs> and then about three or four months later I had uh, myself and James Quinn went cycling out to um, to Oldcastle and did 100k fuck and I was in bits yeah but I was like oh, I've done 100k I can actually do this now and I, and at that time it was all about the distance trying to get further f- and cycling for longer more than anything else okay seeing where I could, see, basically seeing where I could go and then the more you're out cycling the more you see oh hang on it's actually a pretty cool country to be in. Like the the roads are not great, but like the scenery is amazing. So like it's an incredible hobby. And I'm actually losing weight, so there it is. Yeah, staying fit, getting out in the fresh air, all the yeah. rest of it. So you cycled old Castle and back, which was what, like a hundred K or something? It was a hundred K, yeah. I think it was about hundred and ten. And I was fucked. Like I was bollocks. Yeah. Mean. But delighted. But delighted, yeah, yeah. I don't think I was able to move for the rest of the day. <laughs> and where did it go from there? Oh well, well then like I just kinda well 
I do like you do like sportives and stuff like that. So basically, organised events. So kind of like like your mammals on a Sunday morning. Like to be guys that organise like a tour of me. Like I'm posted a lot of cycles. Like to do a tour of me, tour of Sligo, uh, one in Cork, one in Waterford. Uh, there's one in Wicklow as well. So these are kind of organised cycles of 160k where you're basically marshalled around the county by like basically closed, not closed roads, but like you have a lead car, you have people looking after you. You're in a bunch of like 60 people. Yeah, it's safe and it's yeah, organised. Stopping off for sandwiches and in places and stuff like that. Like it's safe and it's a it's a nice way to go around the country and you're meeting people on the bike. Like it's you're not stressing yourself too much. Like so, I did a lot of those for a while. So when did you join the club? Because there's there's getting like I have a bike and I cycle around the place, but I'm not in a club. Yeah, that's uh, well. I suppose I joined. I, I'm I'm a bit of a slut. <laughs> now when it comes to joining clubs, I'm a bit of a slut. Brilliant! I'm delighted to hear yeah. that. Yeah, I. Uh, I joined the Skane Wheelers out in Kilmessen, um, mainly because I knew Ray Quinn, which is James's brother, and he was like the secretary in the club. So I said, look, I'll go out and join them, go out for spins during the summer. So I went, did a few spins with them. Then when the summer was finished, I was kind of like, you know what? Because James had been racing, and I'd seen him racing, and I thought, you know what? I actually think it's time to get back and try to do something competitive. And not have to be picked for it as well. So And not have to be picked for it. Okay, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're in charge, yeah. you know, you're in control of your own destiny basically. Exactly, yeah. So this game club in Kamesson isn't a it's not really a racing club. There's only like one or two lads that do a bit of racing. So I thought, look, I'll I'll join Navin because they have a lot of racers. So I went and I trained all winter with them and then went racing with them in February, March when the season started and raced with them for a year. And then was it a year? Two years I raced for them, I think. Two years. And then we've moved house now and I'm racing with Kukulin up in Dundalk. And when you say racing, like, I mean, is there distances? Is there... Yeah, so I'm racing A4, which is like the lowest category you could possibly get. And when you say, like, what what does that even mean, though? Like, the, the lowest category, I mean, what's it what's it based on? I mean, is uh, it speed? On, is it right, distance? It's, it's like... generally based on ability. Um, so you start, everybody starts in A4. So okay. A4 is probably about 70 or 80k depends on the course but you could probably be going about 39 kilometers an hour speed's not a very good measure for cycling because if you're going on a hilly course it's obviously going to be slower so of course uh, but a4 is where pretty much everybody starts and then you accumulate enough points you move up to a3 a2 and then a1 a1 is pretty much the elite i suppose but in running say because that's I'd be familiar with running, not familiar with bikes. In running, you know, you start off, you run a five k, then you run a ten k, then you run a half marathon, then you run a marathon. And some people go to ultra marathons. Some people stick with five k's and go fucking really fast, or ten k's. People have their kind of ideal distance. Yeah. Is there something similar in cycling? Or uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't really know what you were getting at. And I suppose the kind of doesn't really apply similar to running, but like. Uh, A4 races would generally be about 70 or 80k A3 would probably be about 100k A2 and A1 generally get mashed in together because there's not enough people for the categories they're probably about 140 could be 160 and yeah they would do maybe two or three day races as well so they'd go on a Friday race on a Friday race on a Saturday race on a Sunday and is that the the one race that takes three days or yeah, yeah. A stage race, you call it. Okay. You see, again, this is the beauty of getting people like you on and people like me talking to you because I have no fucking clue. Like, every so often I hear the, the Tour de France, Tour de France, it is the Tour de France. It is the Tour yeah. de France, yeah. Every so often I hear the Tour de France, and I was like, oh no, the Tour de France is on today. 
and then I hear it's on again like the next day and I'm like or you know the week after and it's I'm on like, for three weeks but like what the fuck I don't but you see this is the thing the beauty of this platform is I get people in from different loops and you're in the cycling loop yeah. and like there's loads of people listening to this that don't know like the Tour de France is what three weeks long or something 21 days 21 stages so yeah three weeks long right so I do so for what you start off at A4 and that's there's no stages or anything. It's yeah. just a start a start line and a finish line. Is that is the start line and the finish line generally the same place? Yeah, you generally would do laps of a course because you can't really close off too many roads around the country. Like so, you generally would do a lap of a course. So this weekend I'm racing in Camessin, so we'd start in Dunsany Football Club, go out to the main Dublin road, back to Camessin, back to Dunsany, and do that four or five times okay so you'll actually lap okay right yeah. I didn't realise that you see again little things like that I wouldn't have a clue of so you started at A4 how long were you in A4 or I'm still in A4 okay sorry this is, this is what the vlog is about I can't get out of the thing <laughs> and what you need to what build up points you or? need to build up points you need to get 13 points I've got 7 points and is that because you're not racing enough or you're not fast enough or both uh, or what uh, well, I'm definitely not racing I'm definitely am racing enough I'm just not placing enough so you get points for the first date so the first we'll get 10 points second will I think it's 10 points or 8 points second yeah down to 8 then 8 gets like 1 point or whatever but. and is there races that are kind of are you entering races that are too difficult or is, is that a thing I mean if, if it's uh, I suppose yeah look, you can you can enter races that would suit you better like I suppose at A4, you're not going to be a specialist in anything. Like, there's the people who specialise in just a sprint at the end of a race. So they'll carry on with the whole bunch and then they'll sprint at the end and beat everybody. Okay. There's people who specialise in, in climbing hills. So they'll be super light. And when they get to a hill in a race, they'll just fuck off. Up the hill and off and nobody will catch them. And then there's people who, I suppose, yeah, will specialise in getting into breaks and just going along and just basically getting away from the bunch and just riding away on their own super strong fuckers I fall into none of those categories <laughs> <laughs> or at least if I am in one of those categories I have no idea which one I'm in is that a category in itself no no that's just general race so like you could have a, a completely pan flat race so nobody is ever going to get away in a pan flat race because it's just it's all about basically drafting and stuff like that I'm, I'm terrible at explaining this I know this I know this but uh, on a pan flat race, a sprinter will generally win because everybody will stick together at the end and the sprinter will go and he'll win with like 10 second effort. Okay, so a pan flat race being no hills. No hills, yeah. Okay, and you Which met- is pretty much most races in Ireland. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something there, drafting. I'm, I'm familiar with what drafting is, but can you just lay that out for people who don't know what it is? Yeah, so drafting is pretty much hiding yourself from the wind. So in a line of cyclists... If there's two or three in front of you, you could get basically the benefit of up to 40%, meaning you would use 40% less effort than the guy at the front of the line of cyclists. So you're out of the, you're in his slipstream, slipstream. In his is slipstream. that the word? Yeah, yeah. Because they have that in Formula One, I think. Drivers will, if you're on the same team, a driver will purposely let you sit in behind them. Yeah. So you can pick up speed, they'll pull out of the way, and that ju- it just gives you that little bit of yeah. And that's how the, that's how the sprinters work. That's how they operate. They'll sit in in the in the slipstream all day long until they get to that point where they go, and then they go off like like a bullet. And is there pairings? So are you are you do you always race as an individual, or can you race like if you're a sprinter, would you have your buddy 
who isn't a sprinter say sit in front of you or is that against the rules or what? No, like, no, no, no. Ideally, yeah. Like in an ideal world, people would race as a team. But when you're at my level, you're training Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or whatever, three days a week and then going racing at the weekend. It's very hard to say, okay, you know what, lad, you sit in behind me. I'll do all the work for you. <laughs> you get all the glory. And you get all the glory. You know, <laughs> And nobody wants to be in A4. Everybody wants to get out of it. So everybody's going for points. Now, if you move higher up the ranks and you move into like an A1 situation, like people will generally work as a team because you have to. You never win a race on your own unless you're super strong. Right. So at A4, in my level, it's all everybody for themselves. And in relation to your level specifically, because you're at essentially entry level. Yeah, exactly. So, the, so, yeah. so anybody that's thinking about doing this is going to be smack bang in the same race as you. Yeah. And that's what I love about getting the likes yourself in here. Like I had Greg Mackin on here um, a couple of months ago and he did the, you know, the race across America and he's you know an, an elite high level cyclist. But when he talks about cycling, he's a little bit out of reach of most people. You're exactly where people thinking about getting into cycling well, that's, would, would that's like to be. Well, that's partly why I wrote the blog. Yes. And I suppose, like, it is that kind of, like, like, my thinking now is that sport in general has become way too distant for people to relate to. Like, even the, the interviews after a football match or whatever, you look at the interview, they don't say anything. They're scripted. They they just come out and they say, how was the game? Yeah, it was good, whatever. Like, yeah, we played well. I must thank my teammates, blah, 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 blah. Just drivel, like, just yeah. scripted drivel. Yeah. And you don't see any insights into it at all. Like, and then you say, oh yeah, Sergio Aguero scored a hat-trick for Man City last night. And then he just hops in his car and drives off. Like, that's not relatable. There's no real life there. It's not like, okay, I'm going to watch a football team now because they're the lads from down the road. Like, there's people supporting Liverpool, there's people supporting Man United. They're not down the road. Now, how can you relate to footballers playing for a team in a foreign country that isn't even the, their local club? Like, they've come from Brazil and they've come from Germany. Yeah. Now, people might have a different opinion. Like, obviously, like, I've got a gripe with football. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I, share, I share that with you. But and so do many people listening. Yeah, I just think sport has become far unrelatable now. Like, I couldn't especially agree more. sport. Like, Could, couldn't agree more like the, the footballers you know 200 grand a week or whatever the fuck they're on like how is that attainable yeah like I don't know I used to think for years that I wouldn't have a gripe with money in sport I probably I don't really have a gripe with money in sport but it has dulled it down by any amount it's just I find it really dull yeah no I'd be inclined to agree with you so I'm, look maybe my blogs are going to be dull as well <laughs> I'm nobody to talk but like I don't know. Sponsorship really ruins everything because you can't say anything on the line because of the sponsors. Yeah, well, I've no intention of getting a sponsor for this. I, I, I absolutely 100% intend to monetize it and 100% want to make this my um, livelihood. But I'm, I've no, no interest in getting a sponsor. Like I might you, I might sponsor myself. My business might yeah. sponsor me, but that's, you know... That's pretty good because like, you're, you're, not, you're not basically forced under pressure to kind of not say things that you would like to say. No, I'm not beholden to anyone and I'm not afraid of, you know, pissing anybody off. I'll piss everybody off, everyone yeah. and anyone off. Like, if you look at Lance Armstrong, when he got caught, the biggest story, basically, yeah, he got caught. But one of the biggest stories out that came out of that was, oh, he lost all his sponsors. Yeah. All the sponsors. And he even says, oh, that was a hundred million day because he lost all the sponsors because of what he did. Now, your sponsors would want to be stupid not to know that what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's doing it and there's getting caught though, isn't there? There is get there is doing it and getting caught, but like, come on, like. No, no, look, I'm I'm totally on board. It's it's funny that you mention this because what got me into MMA. I'd watch the UFC, like most kind of red-blooded men, we'd, you know, you'd seen and you're like, fucking hell, that, that's mad or whatever. But it was in America um, and, you know, it was guys with kind of funny accents in a different country, the other side of the world. And there was never any, like, the idea of me getting into that just never, the thought never entered my head. And where would you go? Well, at the time, I didn't even think to look in Ireland because I would have just assumed there was nothing here. Now, there would have been if I had looked, but again, this idea, it was so far removed from me, I never even thought to look for it here. Do you know that kind of way? It was so unattainable and so kind of distant to me, I never even bothered looking. If I looked, it would have been there, but I never looked because it was just so out of reach. But then a show came on called The Ultimate Fighter. And what The Ultimate Fighter was, the first season I watched, I think there was 11 fighters, and they were all... It was actually lads from the UK and lads from America were put into this house and they all had to kind of fight each other and the winner got a, a six-figure deal with the with the UFC. And I was watching this and the lads that were in it, there was a couple of lads from Liverpool and a lad from Manchester and they just, they were normal people. Like They were just dudes. And I was looking at them training and sparring and then competing and I was kind of looking at them going, those lads aren't that different to me. I... I could I could try this at least. I could take him. I could take him. <laughs> I'd take any man. <laughs> but no, it just it just left it that little bit more kind of realistic. And, you know, I ended up fucking competing. I trained as a martial artist for five years and fought and won and fought and lost and did the did the whole thing. Like you, I'd be that kind of compulsive guy. Yeah. I, I said I'd give it a go and ended up doing it four or five times a week for five years. <laughs> like I know yeah, I, yeah, yeah. um but it it made it accessible and I don't think soccer is accessible for, for young lads coming up when, as you say, they're not even people from your country or your, you know, even from the country of the club that they're from, what they're getting paid, the bullshit that they speak after games, the sponsorship, it just, I don't know, it dulls it all down. So that's the beauty of your yeah. blog. It, it It's people looking to get into it, reading and listening to the thoughts of somebody who's not that far away from, from where they are, like. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, it's the soccer is so like unrelatable now that like, like you you even look at the amount of kids that are going, basically through the system in the UK, and I I like I don't know the figures, but the, there is a massive amount of footballers who go into the youth system in the UK and just get spat out because they don't bring youth players through anymore. They just go and buy another Brazilian. So why would you give an eighteen year old a chance? when you can just go buy an 18-year-old Brazilian who's a like, superstar. Like, they never get that chance. So it becomes less and less, like like you say, attainable. You're not seeing the guy from down the road making it to play for my United. You're not seeing the likes of, say, like, Paul McGrath gone over. Like, there is, like, the odd exception. If there wasn't, we wouldn't have a national football team, I suppose. Of course. But you're not seeing the likes of Paul McGrath or Kevin Moore and going over and playing for Man United anymore because they're just signing superstars because they're under pressure to get results to stay in the league to from this probably from their sponsors again no no of course yeah. yeah no absolutely <clears throat> absolutely and presumably there's not a whole pile of money in the racing that you're doing you haven't gone completely I have won corrupted yet I have won 40 pounds nice 40 nice British pounds because I won a race up north <laughs> <laughs> lovely yeah and you were saying that your training was it two or three times a week 
Uh, yeah, probably about two, two to three times a week. Probably about eight to twelve hours. Okay, and what oh, distances God. is that that you're covering there uh, Oh, during the winter, during the week, I cover no distance. <laughs> I stay in a in a, a stationary spot in a room in the house, staring at the wall. With a pair of uh, headphones on. Because that's Listening the thing. to it's... yourself, Rano. Oh, very good, very good. You're my coach. <laughs> but there is that. It's seasonal, obviously. Yeah. And it's that. Now, I have enough gear to get out in the cold and go out in the cold. And I do that on Sundays or whatever. But yeah, most of the winter, Monday to Friday, because of work, you just don't get out. So you're in basically in this box spinning like a hamster <laughs> <laughs> and on the training that you're doing in order to get better and again I can only kind of relate to the running like I was I, I get into running a couple of years ago and I was trying to get me 5k speed down and I got it down to, I never broke the 20 minute mark I was sick I hit 20 minutes in like 4 seconds 3 different times <laughs> never never broke the 20 minutes somehow but I was chatting to a good friend of mine Dave Webster um, and he was saying, like, what what was my training like? And I was like, well, I run every day. And he was like, well, what are you running? And I was like, well, I'm trying to get my 5K time down, so I'm I'm not doing the longer runs. I'm just yeah. running 5Ks. And he goes, so you're running 5K every day? I was like, yeah. And he goes, you're running it as fast as you possibly can. And I was like, well, yeah, I want to get my time down. And he goes, yeah, but if you had a race that you were... He said, he explained to me that you'll get your personal bests during races. So he said, you're best off to enter a 5K race and train to peak for that day. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And he goes, but what you're doing is you're booking a 5K race in for like two weeks' time. And over the next 14 days, what you're doing is running 5K as fast as you can every day. (laughs) And you're wondering why you're not getting any faster. And I was like, fuck, yeah, you're right. So we went to the the uh, running track in Claremont and he had me doing like 100 meter sprints and hill repeats then up at the hill of Tara and different things like that so yeah. are you doing that kind of stuff yeah basically on the same premise if you want to get fast you have to go fast so you can't sustain your 100 meter sprint for 5k of course but in doing that you're building up your strength in your legs to do that so yeah I am essentially doing that structured training I, did, I, I wasn't doing it for a while and I wasn't getting any faster like yourself like if you go around on a bike and just trash yourself for an hour all you get good at doing is just trashing yourself for an hour yeah. like, <laughs> you don't get good at things like and like that like we're running like yeah you have to do intervals and stuff like that to, to actually get faster it's just the way it works like you can't if you if you go, expect to go out and just trudge along you'll only get good at trudging along but if, say, if you do two 10-minute slots of really pushing yourself, taking a break and pushing yourself, eventually you can shorten the gap shorten the gap between those two slots and you actually are faster. There you go. Hey, presto, it's done. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, I don't know. I'm not a coach. I don't know the, the science behind it. But that's in my head is the thinking around what the way it works, basically. And do you have a coach? I had a coach last year, yeah, an Italian guy from Navin called Matteo. Okay. And he uh, did a plan for me. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, I got faster. But I couldn't afford to keep it up because they're pretty expensive, so. Yeah. Um, and would you book him in? Like, again, I do a bit of personal training with, with Bernard Smith of Ultimate Conditioning. Shout out to Bernard, who still hasn't come on, you bollocks. But, uh I'll do a session, like I did five or six weeks and I'm just there recently and he's after teaching me enough, he's after teaching me a certain amount about weightlifting now that I can do my own weightlifting and I'll pick him up now and when I feel I need to maybe in six months time or whenever it is. Would you feel the same as that or do you know enough to kind of coach yourself or what way does uh, that work? 
Yeah, well, I've been doing a bit, like, before I hooked up with Mateo last year, I was doing my own structured training, basically just buying a winter plan and sticking to that winter plan from, like, a generic plan. Like, you know, like, you get, like, running weekly or cycling weekly. And you yeah. Do this, you know, do this 21 week and you'll be faster. So following that kind of thing. But then, yeah, last year uh, when I hooked up with Mateo, he'd do, like, a, a one-on-one session every month. So like that, like you would probably do with Bernard Smith, he would show you how to deadlift or squat or, yeah, or bench press properly. Mateo would bring you out on the road and show you how to sprint properly. Show right. you the proper form to be in on the bike to sprint to get the most power out. That kind of thing. Like It's kind of similar like if you're going playing golf and you swung a golf club, you wouldn't have a fucking clue what you're doing. You need someone to show you exactly how to do it. Otherwise, yeah, no, you're, just, you're never going to get better at golf. And on the just when you mentioned the the squats and the deadlifts and that, do you do weight training as part of the cycling, or is that part of cycling at all? Weight training or uh, no, it's not. Or it you is don't? it is part of it, but I I kind of shy away from it. I don't really. I, I've never been one for a gym. I don't really like the gym. I don't like going into a room and lifting weights. I haven't got the muscles for it. I I know you build the muscles. <laughs> I did do crossfit for a while, and I just wrecked my shoulder, but. I did actually, I, that was one time when I actually was kind of ripped. But uh, no, I just, I don't, I don't have the discipline to go in on my own and go, you know, I have to do X, Y, and Z and I'm going to do this now. Because I just get bored. And is that not the beauty of having a cycling club? Is And again, I don't know anything about cycling clubs, but D is not organised, you know, leg day. Or you know what I mean? Like, whatever it is. National like. leg day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bring out your shaving beauties. Bring out your what? Shaving beauties. Yeah. Uh, I've actually read that in your in a part of your blog today. You were going out for a race, so you had to shave or something, something yeah. like that. I spent Saturday night in the bath, <laughs> shaving my legs. With your Pantene Pro V and your mind. fucking... Yeah. <laughs> There's not many people who can say that and still stay married. And what's that? Is that to get the Lycra on or is it like wind resistance or weight or all of the above? It just looks good. <laughs> there is no explanation. It just looks good. It looks better. It looks very good. It That's feels the word. good, actually, as well. It's nice to have the wind, but, but then I just covered them up with leg warmers the next day anyway because it's too fucking cold. But yeah, it's all about the etiquette. like. And getting into the, the gear, because that's another thing that you mentioned. And a mate of mine, uh, Dave Webster, shout out to Dave and Graham Mackin from Spun Cycles for all your cycling needs <laughs> and running needs. 75% off if you use the code words off the lead. Uh, where does the gear come into it? Because I remember Dave telling me before that you can buy time. And I was like, oh, I like that. That's a that's a real yeah. that's a real sales pitch right there. That's where because you, start, you can, can't yeah, you? This is where you start getting yourself into trouble. This is the stuff that drains your bank accounts. Yeah, this is, this is where the one click becomes a yeah. real problem. This is where you stop looking at your belly and you start looking, you know what? I could get a bit faster if I just bought another hat <laughs> a fast hat no well you can you can buy like oh there's like a, a hierarchy of things you can actually buy to make yourself faster so you can buy faster wheels so you get them deep section wheels you would have seen them in triathlons you know guys with a big disc wheel at the back yeah yeah and a deep section wheel at the front that's without the spokes say it's like a solid yeah solid disc wheel at the back yeah you, you can't put them in races like you you just wouldn't do that like in what in cycling races in a race no why not uh, I'm, I don't know maybe you're actually banned I don't know uh, probably because it's not very uh, safe you could get like you get a gust of wind on a disc wheel that's going to take you off the other side of the road well fuck yeah and into someone maybe or something yeah I, I, I actually don't know 
It just looks fucking stupid as well. <laughs> if you're all in the race, you just just not to go off track, but um, the safety element of it, it's fucking dangerous. Yeah, it's not safe. It's not safe, and it's quite stupid. Because a, a friend of mine, and I think yours, uh, Colin Lydon, uh, he came off the bike and did himself a fucking savage yeah, mischief, he didn't he? Fucking killed himself. Yeah. yeah, head first into a rock or something that. God knows how many miles an hour. Yeah, I think he was coming down at Enniskerry. He was actually out with James at the time. James Quinn. James Quinn. And he was coming down from Enniskerry, from what I know. And uh, he had a bit of ice and slid off the bike and went headfirst into a stone wall. Jesus. Yeah. And you see, that's the scary thing. Like, if, if you had told me he uh, made a ramp and barreled down a hill full tilt and hit the ramp and he just, he didn't do something right... And like he didn't make some sort of a check and bust himself. Yeah. That I could live with. But you're you're pottering along, mind your own business, you're doing everything you should be doing and you fucking hit ice or something. Like that's kinda that's a little bit too out of your control for my liking. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much Colin actually likes to talk about it. Um so I wouldn't really want to go into too much detail about it, but he was in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. No, aside from him, but just cycling in general because Yeah, well look, it is it is inherently dangerous. Like you're cycling at sixty kilometers an hour. In an A four race there could be up on a hundred people. So if you're coming to a sprint with a hundred people at sixty kilometers an hour, all it takes is one touch of a wheel or one clip of a handlebar in the middle of a bunch and everybody goes off. It fucking skittles yeah. basically. If you ever seen a race where there is an accident, it's just carnage it's like somebody has just picked a grenade fucked it into the middle of the peloton and it's just gone and everybody's just scatters and on on the deck like you generally in races you hear the scrape of carbon first hitting the ground and for the next thing you think is okay where the fuck is that and then you kind of start seeing the spread so you're praying initially okay am i gonna hit this like oh fuck because when you're in a pack you can't see you shit you can't see fuck all what are you looking you shouldn't at be, you should be looking straight ahead you shouldn't be looking around like I was at a race last year and a guy starts looking around coming into the finish and he just goes straight into the guy in front of him and next thing like that half a dozen a bomb goes off yeah, yeah. half a dozen, dozen of them go down and then people have broken wheels broken bones ripped jerseys the whole lot like it can be pretty it can be pretty uh, rough like it's all part of it though is it is that is that part of the kind of thrill of it? What that there's the risk that you may get killed. Yeah. <laughs> uh possibly, yeah. Nobody it's not nice. It's not a nice part of it. I don't go out on a Sunday and go, you know what? If I survive this, this is gonna be some rush. I go out going, uh, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're thinking about crashing, you're not least enough to actually react. You probably will crash. Yeah, you could be your own worst enemy. It's the enemy. last thing in your mind, like. So you, you wouldn't think of it, or if it, if you do, it's bad to think of the possibility of a crash because I suppose it's out of your yeah, control. To yeah, because you, like. you like like that. You you give extra distance to the person in front of you. So the first race I ever rode in, fifteen minutes down the down the road, I crashed. You crashed, or someone crashed into you, or. Well, somebody crashed into me. Some right. guy came up my right hand side and locked handlebars, and I went down. And that was probably about 40 kilometres an hour. And I hit the deck and I went into a ball and somebody clipped the back of my helmet. Jesus. And then I got up and my bike was in shit. Um, that was 15 minutes into my very first race. <laughs> Welcome to cycling. And I was like, oh, what the fuck have I got myself in for? But, like, <clears throat> I always insisted that, like, set me back about six months in actually 
getting any way decent at cycling because every time I went to a race after that I was afraid to put myself in the bunch of people in case somebody clipped me yeah of course I was afraid to get too close to the bike in front of me in case I clipped them or in case they braked and we hit the deck I was terrified of uh, of crashing and it took me a long time to get over that yeah you'd lose your nerve handy enough I'd say because yeah. there is a certain amount of nerve like for, forget about crashing into other people or being in a, in a pack or even being in a race presumably if you're going down a, a hill of any description because I know myself on a bike it doesn't have to be that steep a hill for you to pick up some serious fucking speed like yeah like it takes time it does take time to get used to it like it takes time to get confidence like even taking a corner and just leaning over and throwing yourself around the corner at speed that takes time it takes confidence like yeah. to actually do it properly yeah I wouldn't have that at like, all you need to do it enough times to go okay I've done this before this is no problem yeah and presumably you're in the, the cycling shoes that, what do they call them, cleats, cleats or something, yeah. is it? Yeah. So just clipped into the pedal. So you are literally attached yeah. to the bike lock. Most of my crashes have come because I can't clip out on time. Really? Yeah. If you're a bit sharper, you'd kind of jump off the bike, is it? Or Yeah, I'm a bit useless at clipping out. <laughs> I, was, I, I broke my bike last year before a race because I didn't clip out on time. And I just foolishly tried to stand up on the pedals you know balance the bike yeah yeah and then I decided okay I'll go now and then I just fell over <laughs> B- busted my front gear lever 150 euro lovely on the and that's the thing like that's how expensive it is it's so fucking expensive this sport and how expensive is it I mean what does your if you don't want to say the price of your bike but your the average bike in the races that you're in what are you looking at like Ah, oh, you can look. You can race on it. You can put any bike in. Mm. Like my bikes, cost me nearly two and a half grand. Right. Um, but there's guys with bikes that are eight grand, ten grand. Like and again, buying time. Yeah. But then you buy a bike, and then you want to go faster. Like you said, you can buy speed. Yeah. So then you want to buy a new set of wheels to make it go slightly faster because they're more aerodynamic. And if you've got new wheels, you may as well get new brakes. Well. Ah, maybe not brakes but you know what I mean a chain or gear or whatever no, well, that's it, it is. like the gear and the clothes then you get into clothes then you go okay I need to get an aero helmet because an aero helmet is more beneficial than aero wheels so they say and then they say okay well your normal jersey isn't good enough you need to get an aero jersey you need to get a skin <laughs> suit and that's when you get the real bellies when you get the skin suit so you get a skin suit and you save it's all about saving watts so watts is your power Basically, the amount of like if you can imagine a hamster on a wheel powering a light bulb, yes, that's your watts. Like, you know, it takes so many watts, 60 watt bulb, so you need 60 watts to light the bulb. Okay, so I have a, a parameter on my bike now that tells me I am pushing 260 watts or 300 watts. Okay, and you, you aim to maintain that, do you? Well, or? in training, and that's it, in training, you would have kind of your threshold watts, so basically the amount of watts you would hit before you would basically start to generate lactate acid and cramp up and basically your, your muscles get tired and fatigue and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, I'm getting way off the point here. Not at all, no, no, <laughs> by all means. The nature of these conversations is that they tend to go down all sorts of different rabbit holes. Like. Yeah, so what's is like the gold standard, basically, okay. of training. So you could go out like and like run your 5K. You could run your 5K and your heart could be racing because you've had a cup of coffee beforehand. Yeah. But say if you went out on your bike and cycled 10k and you had a cup of coffee, your heart is racing. You think, oh god, that was really tough. Like, that's... but like, you're not actually measuring the power that you've put in. Like, yes. So, you could be tired and push less power, or you could be 
fresh as a daisy and push more power, but still feel exactly the same. You know what I mean? Does no, that no, make I sense? do absolutely, yeah. And that you're you're touching on something there that seems to be a real cycling thing. This obsession over detail, I don't, I can't think of another sport that that has it. Like you're literally monitoring Everything. the wattage of your fucking output. Like, you have a little bike computer on the front of your bike, right? And it has your heart rate, your speed, your cadence, which is how many times you turn the pedals in a minute. Uh, your power. As opposed to watts or power being watts? Your watts, yeah. Your, ba- your okay. power and your watts. Uh, and your distance or whatever. You can measure everything. And what what is it though about cyclists though? Because they, they all tend to be, and again, speaking in wide sweeping statements here, but... They all tend to be quite anal. Like, you know, every little fucking cunt and detail. Like, I don't know, I can't think of another sport that's that's quite like that. I don't know. I'd love to actually be more relaxed. I'd love to turn up on a rickety old bike and, like, just shabby old gear. But I can't do it. I just can't do it. I don't yeah. know why. But you see, you're not, you fit into the, the cyclist pigeonhole perfectly because of that. Do you know what I know? There's some there's something about them that they're you're all obsessive compulsive kind of guys. I've often wondered what what it is about the sport that makes people gravitate towards it. I don't know. I actually don't know. Maybe it's the the freedom of it. Like that you can actually go off and cycle somewhere for like two or three hours and just basically soak up the the environment and just kind of get out of your head and not have anybody bother you at all. Just cycle away from all your problems. Yeah, pretty, well, exactly, exactly. I don't know what it is. I, like, I honestly don't know. I don't know why it's so addictive. Yeah, but you love but, it. But probably because there is that element that you could always get better. You could always get faster. You can always buy something that's going to maybe potentially make you faster. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's it. I don't know. I actually don't know. It's a great social sport as well. Like, so like, you know, you're fit and active. Like you you've mates to do it so you can go out and spin with your mates like like get back to the, the basics of cycling like when you're younger what do you do you go cycling around with your friends and your bikes yeah during the summer absolutely yeah so maybe that's it maybe you're you're harking back to your childhood maybe maybe you come back to the womb <laughs> too far back yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. Uh, so you're aiming to get to category what three is it category three yeah a three yeah Trying to get there this year. And what's the dif- What's the difference between A4 and A3? Uh, some people will tell you there's a massive difference. There's not as many crashes. The people have made the grade. They're a bit more experienced. Okay, it's, a, it's obviously a it's higher It's a higher level. standard, yeah. Everybody who's in A3 is pretty much got points. They've done well in races. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a better standard, I suppose. And age-wise, are you, you know peaking is like, like the, the, the top cyclists in the world like what age are the top cyclists there thereabouts uh, it'd be similar to most athletes like in their mid 20s like so okay yeah but like that's the funny thing in Ireland like most people are the same as me the most people that have actually played football because that's what you do in Ireland you go you play Gaelic football you play soccer and then when that's over you pick up a bike and you go jump on a, a race bike yeah or, or you go or off nothing. running or do marathons yeah, yeah you know or do nothing and watch Netflix there's the thing you mentioned on doing marathons what I like about marathons is it's a set distance and you're racing against yourself and it's it's a time do you know the kind of way yeah. is, is there an equivalent in bike racing like what would you know what your you know 
hundred k timers, or is is that a, is that a thing? No, but that's that's the thing about bike racing. Like like in a marathon, you could generally guarantee the marathon is on a flat course. Yeah, relatively enough. Just not like, would that. you measure your marathon on say doing the Dublin marathon, like, or would you say, okay, that's a hillier course? Would you take that into account with your marathon well, time? Well, you see, I've only ran the Dublin City Marathon, yeah, and I've only done it twice. It's the only marathons that I've ever ran, so I, I, that's my marathon time. Um, but very so, few marathons would bring you over a mountain. True. Like, if you did a marathon over a mountain, you wouldn't say, okay, I did that an hour slower than yeah it was the marathon. slowest marathon I ever ran it was yeah. terrible yeah. but like bike racing kind of, I suppose the people who design bike races are a bit sadistic like they, they like to see people suffering and they like to see them going over mountains <laughs> so you can't really measure your time for doing 100k some people would some people they say like okay there's a 160 kilometer spin that goes around mead every year they might say I did that last year in 10 hours so my name's doing in 8 hours yeah I suppose you can measure it like that way. But like in a race, you're only really measuring it whether you finish first to eight. It's funny though because there's a funny dichotomy there. Like cyclists are these super competitive, super kind of anal guys, but they don't have that, you know, like runners do. Like I've, what you said about running a marathon, like different marathons can, some can be hillier than others. So you can't compare one against the other. But I know what my best 5k time is, and I know what my best 10k time is, and I know what my 100 meter sprint is. Yeah. There, there doesn't seem to be an equivalent in well, you could do racing, you, or is there? Well, if you're a time trialist, you'll know what your your best 10 mile time trial is. Or, What's the time trial? Time trial is pretty much what you would have been doing as part of a triathlon, where you just get on a bike and go from A to B, and that's your time is between those two distances. You're on your own, you're not in a group. I suppose triathlon is probably a bad example, but you essentially go off a start ramp and go for 10 kilometers and that's your time. So in the Tour de France, it would be a time trial at the start and there's time trial stages right? where people would pretty much race against the clock. But that's not the type of racing that you do? No. So That's what's another bike that I haven't bought. <laughs> which, the time trial bike? Yeah. Right. I won't be buying a time trial bike. If my <laughs> wife out. is listening. <laughs> Uh, so what is there if that's time trial racing what's the racing you do uh, just open racing open road open racing. racing yeah okay and is there a, like that's two different types is there a third fourth or is there different types or uh, no not really no you could have like I guess what you could put stage races into like one day open races is what, what I do then you can put in stage races which is the likes of your Tour de France I'm not going to race in the Tour de France, but <laughs> <laughs> there is like there is stage races around the country. Like there's ones in Wexford that three days, or there's one in Oma that's like three days as well. Then there's the Ross, which is Ireland's kind of international stage race. So like local guys can compete in that, and they do that for eight days. Well, eight stages. Right. So that would be the the end goal is to actually compete in the Ross if I ever got that high. So you need to be A one or A two to compete in the Ross. Okay, and that's attainable. Like again, I don't know your level yeah, or any it's level. It's not like, impossible, I suppose. Like, time I'm, isn't really on my side because I'm 35 now. But what what will it take? I mean, in order for it you to do that, it takes a shitload of training. Like, right, a shitload of training. You pretty much have to be training like a professional for the entire winter, going to every hard race there is in the country. And then when you get there in May, then you're just surviving. You're not going to win the race. You're just there to survive. Right. Just to stay in it, to be glad to be in it, basically. 
But the majority of guys are just there to survive and to be glad to be in it. Because it is like a, it's an internationally ranked race. Like there's guys that come over from England and France, teams that come over from England and France, like professional teams and racing yeah. it. And a they big race, deal, like as big a deal as it gets. Like. Yeah, and they race against guys like from, well, there's the team in Navin that were in it last year. Like there's county teams like, and they race in it as well. And are you in a competitive team within your club? No. No. And yeah, is there such a thing or uh no, generally like say like in the likes of the Ross you would put a team in in a stage race. You'd never really put a team into a an open race. Like you'd race with your teammates and the higher you get up, yeah, you might work with them on tactics and stuff like that to actually make it that you'd win the race, but yeah, I wouldn't say I have a team. Me and a couple of guys from the club would do races at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. That kind of way. And what are you talking about in your blog? Like, what, what are the... Like, you, you tell me. Yeah. I mean, you've you've been writing it for, for how long? Uh, probably the past year now. So I've I've 10 entries. Okay. For the past year. What I write about is pretty much how the race went. I try not to go, the race went A, B, C, D. You know, I did this, then that happened, then this happened, and then that's the end. I find that kind of like... Yeah, you know, kind of match report, really tedious stuff. I don't really like that. Yeah, and I kind of tell, like to tell a story behind it. So basically, maybe like, like the latest one starts with me trying to find a glove on a Saturday night. That's the one I actually because read about today. Because Very that's funny. what cyclists are like; they're obsessive. I was in my head. I was like, I can't go to the race tomorrow if I can't find that glove. <laughs> and I like about twenty different gloves, <laughs> but I need this glove. <laughs> like. And that's, it's constantly like that. Like, it's all that kind of stuff that goes with it. Like, it's, it's the likes of looking at, I don't know if you've seen Strava. Do you know what Strava is? I do, yeah. It's so like basically, Mathway Run for yeah, bikes. It's like a social media for athletes. I don't like using the word athlete. I don't like calling myself an athlete. <laughs> it kind of suggests that I'm better than I am. But it's a social media for people who go out and do shit. Like biking or running. So, like, the likes of Strava. Like, that can be, like, it's like... Yeah, it's like it's got the the negative side of social media as well. So you know, on Facebook, you see someone like, "Oh, look at my brand new car." Yeah, like you look at Strava, and this guy's out training five days a week, and I'd be racing against them, and I'm like, "The oh, fucker, <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing? What's he doing now? Like, you know, what kind of training is he doing?" And then they're putting up pictures of their new bike on Strava, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, you know, maybe I need to get a new bike," and it's that kind of mental mind fuck shite that goes through my head that I'm trying to put on the pages that I'm thinking if I'm thinking this surely somebody else is thinking this oh, absolutely yeah so it's it's just that kind of stuff it's just the everyday you know why do I actually think like this I don't know but that what I love about that and what I loved about the, the little of your blog admittedly that I read only today it gives that it's the equivalent of me watching the ultimate fighter back in the day it's kind of it's reading it's, it's looking at it and going this fucking McCann fella, he's not that much different than me. And here he is off fucking bike racing. And I have a bike and I like cycling and I might just give it a fucking lash, you know? And yeah. who knows, maybe in two or three years time that they'll be in, they'll have gone from A4 to 3 to 2 and, and kind of done yeah, well, something. They're like. the people I want to reach. Like, they're, like that's exactly the audience I want to reach. Like, I don't, I'd like to maybe, I don't know, somebody wants... Somebody said to me, somebody once said to me, if it was ages ago, it was probably about three weeks ago. <laughs> somebody once told me, uh, what's your end game with the blog? Like one of my friends, I sent around to like 10 people and see what they thought of it. One of my friends said, what's your end game with the blog? How big do you think it could get? And I was like, well, like, 
there is no end game. I'm just doing it because I want to do it. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy writing. When I'm finished writing and I show it to somebody, mainly my wife, and she goes, yeah, that's good. That's shit. She's pretty good. She's probably the harshest critic I have. (laughs) But he was like, what's the end game? Like, where do you see it growing? And I was like, well, uh, I don't really know. I was like, I suppose, like, if somebody's run the 5K, maybe they could say, oh, I'm doing Couch to 5K. Why don't they tell their story of basically... The likes of, the likes of you, kind of going out and trashing yourself and talking to to your friend Webby and saying, and Webby going, you're, you're actually doing that completely wrong. Yeah, like, and that kind of thing. Like, maybe they could they could do a series of blogs on the site and do ten ten blogs or whatever, and whatever, and then just kind of build it up. Like I say, you could do a ten ten k. Somebody wants to run the marathon, tell a story about doing the marathon. Like just normal people, not people who are going out to say win the marathon. Just normal course, yeah. people with normal stories. Yeah, it, it's gas because your man Graham Mackin again that I had on. I've been pushing him towards setting up his social media platforms, like you know Graham Mackin athlete or whatever, um, or writing a blog or starting a podcast or whatever. And he's always said, "Oh, I feel like a bit of a dick doing that because you know I'm not at a high enough level to do it." And I'm like, "Man, if you're winning gold in the Olympics or whatever." I don't care about your poxy blog or whatever else. I want to read the blog of a guy who's, you know, not at a high level, who's at a relatively attainable level. Now, Macken's probably a bit past yeah. that already. Yeah, but that's the thing. I listened to his podcast and like one of the interesting parts of it, I thought was basically that he like got dehydrated and partly got the shits going down the fucking glass staircase or whatever they call it. Yeah. Maybe he didn't get the shits. Maybe I just threw that in. But no, but I know what you mean. But that's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, those actual stories where people maybe I don't know, fuck up on the hydration yeah. and are willing to admit it yeah. that's the more interesting stuff than actually going you know what I'm on great look at me Serena Williams I've just won Wimbledon for the ninth time again <laughs> how do I do it I don't know I'm just, just great excellent yeah yeah no you're right absolutely because there's that real kind of human connection and that's why I said to you at the start of this and I say it to everybody I don't try and interview people and if, if I do if I end up interviewing people I regret it or I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that because interviews, it's just so contrived. It's like, you know, so Darren, you, you started your new blog today. What, what, what inspired you to t- take out the, or to put pen to paper? And you're like, fuck off and die. Like, you know, that's not, there's nothing real about that. Like, uh, there is in a way though, if you're talking to a normal person and you ask them like, well, why are you doing this? I think that's the, that's the most legitimate question you can ask. What inspired you? Why are you doing this? Yeah, they're, they're good questions, but if in the interview format, like usually when you look at something like the Late Late, which is a real interview format, and you're asked, you know, what got you started? People give the the prepared answer. Do you know that kind of way? And not the real answer. Yeah. And that's what I love about these conversations. Like we've talked about fucking Strava and, you know, cleats and crashing on bikes. And it goes it goes all, all over the place, left, right and centre. And you might think if you were, like I'd say if you were a kind of a a podcast exec and you were looking over the, the T's and C's of what I'm doing here, you might say, oh, that's not going to work. That's too chan- tangential. People aren't, you need to keep focus there needs to be a beginning middle and an end yeah, yeah. But i'm going away from that completely and just having a, a normal conversation between two people and that that kind of works better i think and i think that's what you're going to get hopefully with with your blog like yeah well the conversation is more engaging than an interview big time big time and when you're when you're writing the blog is it just as you feel it or are you what am i even trying to say 
like, are you thinking of writing it in the first person or the second person? Do you know that kind of way? Like, are you literally minded or do you just fucking write out what's fucking... Verbal diarrhea. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> pretty but much. That's, but that's what a conversation or literal is. Literal diarrhea, I suppose. But, like, put it this way, how many drafts of something would you write before you thought it was ready to be published or would you just write it and it's done? I generally just bang it out. Yeah. Just get it done and then edit it afterwards. Yeah. So, I suppose... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I would hope now that I'm actually going public that I won't think about it too much and I'd still continue to just write it as I feel it. Yeah. You know what kind of way? I don't want to be pleasing people, you know, like, way either. I don't want to be going, well, if I say this, well, what would people think of that? Yeah, no, you're on the right track think, thinking like that because I kind of, when I started this, I caught, me, I caught myself saying, and I, I catch myself saying this every so often, something like what you just said. They're all like, you know, what what would people think or would I do this or would I do that I, I'd, I'd have an idea in my head I'm going to try this thing or that thing and then I'd say what would people like to hear and then I kind of catch myself and I was like fuck people which one do I prefer which one do I want to do yeah because if you do if you do it for you you'll keep doing it and it, there'll be longevity in it and it'll be honest and it'll be original and it'll be you know something but if you're doing it for other people it, I don't know it just yeah well that's it it gets back to the point like if you're doing it like and it's something that you actually think, oh yeah, that actually be all right. Somebody else is going to think that. Yeah, like does that, like what? There's nearly four million people in this country. Yeah, surely somebody else is going to think that. But you see, four million people in this country. There's fucking seven billion of us worldwide. Like th- this little piddly platform that I have has been listened to in about thirty five different countries. Now, granted, the majority of it's coming from Ireland, but once you put something online, you know, borders just kind of dissolve. You're you're as likely to have some lad reading it in Australia as you are in Kells. Do you know what kind of yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. Which is, and it's the same. We're all we're all human. Do you know what kind of way? We all we're all essentially the same. So I don't know. There's just something cool about putting it up online because you kind of move on. Do you know? You, you get it done. You get it up, and you move on. And, and fair fucking play to you because it takes a certain amount of balls to put a bit of yourself out there to to be up there for criticism. You know, it's it's that anxiety that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It's like. It's like that. Like the, I know there's a book out there called "Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway" or whatever like that. And yeah, that, that name always goes around in my head. Like, and like, there's always a thing. Like, basically, there was something I heard ages ago. Basically, that fear is only the unknown. Like, you only fear things because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And so, like, just do it anyway. Just do it, and then see what the consequences are. Yeah, absolutely. And like, generally, the consequences are fine. Generally, people are actually all right. People will don't criticize you like straight to your face and say, you know what, you're doing a blog there. They won't go out of their way to say that's absolute shit. They'll say, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. Then you might get some people who'll say, ah, oh, who's your man? I think he is, but they won't say it to your face. So you'll no, never see those them. people. Fuck them. And that's a, there's a thing. I don't know if it's an Irish thing, um, but this idea of begrudgery. I, I have a feeling that begrudgery is self-imposed. Do you know that kind of way? Like people people might be begrudging you but you don't know whether they are or not and you can't tell it's and maybe they're not but if you think they are then they may as well be do you know that kind of way so it's all it's yeah. all you begrudgery is on you like do you know oh yeah like it is it's like what you say you need to get over yourself big just time kind of yeah like, just don't care what other people think it yeah. took me a long time to actually get to that point where I said you know what I don't actually care what you think I'm just gonna do whatever I want yeah, no, absolutely. And more no, fun. not in the way like, you know, I go, what you call, 
going to pure anarchy or anything. Of course, like, yeah. But like, just be like, like I don't care what other people's opinions are of me. Like I, I'm, I, I'm old, but I'm too old <laughs> to think of that. Like when you're in your twenties and your early twenties, it's all about basically the look and the image and like don't be different, just be the same. Yeah. Like especially if you're in like, like you went to St. Pat's, you know what St. Pat's is like. Yeah. You cannot be different than St. Pat's. Yeah. You would be slaughtered. Yeah. So you come out of that and then you go into college and then it's like, just be the same. Like, I mean, some people can, they have the mental capacity to just block it out. I didn't. I just like, I was so focused on like being samey and normal and just kind of like, don't step out from the crowd. Where am I even going with this? No, no, no. But you're right though. Because there's this, the there's camouflage in the herd. Have you heard that? Because you're a bit into your psychology as well. Did you, was it you that sent me the thing on, on personalities? Yeah, yeah, personality is uh, isn't uh, isn't static. So you can't say that somebody is a uh, an anxious person. Like I wouldn't consider myself an anxious person, but when I walked in here, I was anxious as fuck. Of course, yeah, yeah. So that's a snapshot in time. So if you did a personality test on me, then yeah, you'd say, oh, he's an anxious person. Yeah, but there are you can be more predisposed than most at a to cer- anxiety at a certain. Uh, snapshot in time so say you're an anxious person say you're an overconfident so you're a really confident person yeah and you're you're confident to the point that you don't care you'll do anything and then you eventually do something that has a negative impact a massively negative impact on your life you're not going to be an overconfident person after that point I know what you I'd mean imagine, you can get knocked I'd imagine you would be a fairly cautious person after that yeah now I'm not a bloody scientist or <laughs> No, but what reminded me about that was you were saying that about this idea of, you know, not wanting to kind of stand out from the crowd and not wanting to put your head above the parapet and get fucking shot down for basically. And you reminded me of uh, work by your man, um, Robert Sapolsky. And uh, he was studying zebras, I think, at the time. And he was sitting out in the fucking... Sp- savannah in africa or whatever and he was studying one particular zebra to you know make a note and what it was doing and its habits and whatever else and he'd be looking at the zebra and he'd look down and then he'd look back up and he'd go fuck what zebra was i looking at because they all (laughs) blend into each other yeah so he put a dab of dye on its haunch so he could identify it yeah what happened to zebra the lions killed it like that because it stood out from the crowd and there is that thing in nature that's kind of hardwired into us that there's there's protection in the herd, and that idea of being an individual is fucking dangerous. Like that's hardwired into into our psyche nearly. So, but we don't have lions and fucking tigers and bears to hide from anymore. So we can't afford to, I don't know, be different and shine and become ourselves and you know. Yeah, well, certain parts of society, you would you would be. Preferable to hide yourself, like oh, absolutely, no, one hundred percent. Like 100%. if you went in the same pants in a pair of pink shoes, people are going to go the fucking stadium. <laughs> no, and they'll 100%. say it to your face. Yes, so absolutely. you don't wear your pink shoes in the same pants. Yeah, fucking right. So you, you hide don't. yourself. Yeah, not that you're being chased by a lion. But you see, the these days the the lion has been replaced by the bully. Yeah, Do and, kind of thing, yeah. and then you realise the bullies are just fucking ourselves. Pretty much, yeah. But it's a shame it takes us, generally speaking, to get into our thirties before we kind of realise that yeah I suppose yeah my wife would have a lot a lot, a lot of thoughts on, on bullies and stuff like that like she's she's a social worker so she would generally say if I ever said to her that guy's an arsehole she would say you don't know what's going on for that guy yeah yeah no there's wisdom in that 
So it's nearly that you would feel sympathy for the bully rather than actually be calling him an arsehole. Yeah. And I think that's a better approach. No, absolutely. Hard when some lad's taking the piss out of you for no reason other than your pink shoes yeah, or something. I know, but yeah. But you're like, right, though. Yeah, but you, like, you can't think like that when you're a teenager. You're not going to probably think like that when you're in your 20s unless you've actually looked into it and studied it. But I think once you get into your 30s, you start to kind of loosen up and you'll be like, yeah, you know what? Fuck you. Like. you. I think, hopefully, by the time you're into your 30s, you've achieved a certain amount. And I think with achievement comes a comfortableness in your own skin too. Yeah, is there I wouldn't an say I've achieved an awful lot though either. Like, I think I've just become more understanding of the way the world works. Like, well, you have a, a wife and a kids and a job, and you you provided for your family and and whatever else. And like, I don't know you particularly well. I don't really know you at all, essentially. But I'm sure there are things, other things outside of that. This, you know, if you didn't have, you might consider them achievements. Yeah, fair enough. Do you yeah, know what I kind of I get it, yeah. I get it. But I do think like, in your 30s you get some kind of perspective. Which is probably why you've started this podcast in your 30s. Would you yeah. say that? So you're kind of now at the point where you're like, you know, I don't really need validation from everybody else to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm past validation, 100%. Yeah. And I would have needed endless amounts of that when I was in my 20s. Endless amounts of it. And even more when I was a teenager. I needed that validation. Big time. Yeah. Because I, I don't know, I always felt, I always thought that I was kind of, not lacking, but I don't know, different and weird. And it wasn't until I started, like I, I kind of, there's a couple of figures that have been really instrumental in my life, uh, Christopher Hitchens being one, because I was a staunch atheist from as far back as I can remember. And that made me a little different from everybody else. And it, it that was the pink shoes yeah. for me was the, the staunch atheism. And uh, it wasn't until I kind of stumbled across him, and he spoke so eloquently about it. And I was like, "This lad's been, this lad's saying what I've been thinking for the last fucking twenty years," and it made me kind of relax in myself. And that was a big part of why I've created this platform. And you've had a touch of that. I think you mentioned it yourself about putting it right in your blog and putting it out there because if you're thinking it, some other fuckers thinking it, and there's. There's great validation in that, and knowing that you're not the weirdo. Do you know that yeah. kind of way? Knowing that there are like-minded people out there, like it's like that. Th- like the, it's like that thing that Alan Watts says. You know, uh, you've ever heard that speech? It's on YouTube. I've seen it about a thousand times, but it's like, uh, like what are you going to do with your life? And it's basically the the premise of it is do whatever you want, because if it's something that you like, somebody else is going to find worth in it. Because somebody else will like it as well. So just do it. Do whatever you like. And let the, the money or whatever find its way afterwards. Yeah, uh, your man Campbell is something similar. What is it? Follow your bliss. Same principle. Like, yeah. Do do whatever you want. Whatever it is that floats your boat, fucking go ahead and do it. And it's great that you started your blog because that... And for me doing this as well, just because people have contacted me, as I'm sure they will contact you if they haven't already, and said and say to you, you know... I've been fucking wanting to start a music blog or a hiking blog or a fucking cooking blog or whatever and listening to you just maybe go, do you know what? Fuck it. Like, why not? Like, Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose. I'm not there to inspire other people, but I just want to. Yeah, but you do it by default. Do you know the kind of way? And if you're enjoying doing it, which you seem to be, that's the fucking, that's the beauty of it. Like, But between writing the blog and cycling, Who's going to look after all the bees, Darren? 
Ah, oh, the bees, the bees. <laughs> I've never gone to the bees. The bees are the bees are coming back, baby. Are they? Yeah, I don't have any bees at the moment. So I, about four or five years ago, well, not four or five years, probably about three years ago now. Uh, I had a bad summer and I lost all my bees. <laughs> I could not keep my bees. Right, so I'm going to have to cut across. I'm a bee sorry, loser, because... not a beekeeper. <laughs> uh, the reason I'm going to cut across you there is because there's people here who've been enjoying the conversation. What are we in? Uh, an hour and twenty, and they've been enjoying it. And the next one, wait, whoa, what? Did, did this skip? Is this somebody else? That's a curveball. What yeah, the f- curve what ball. the fuck are you talking about bees? Because when you you reached out to me and said, listening to your podcast, fucking enjoying it, fair play to you. I immediately wrote back saying, you'd be a fucking great man to get on because of the whole bee thing. Because I didn't know you were into cycling and I didn't know you were going to write a fucking blog or any of that stuff. <laughs> I um, didn't know that either at the time that I was going to write any blog. Well, there but. you go. Um, but the bees, when did the, 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 bees, the bees, the bees, the bees, the bees, the bees, the bees. You're a beekeeper. I am a certified, qualified beekeeper. That's right. Oh, actually genuinely qualified. Like, is there a qualification? There is a qualification, or? yeah. Okay. Well, generally... To get bees, you would join a beekeeping association. So I joined the Loud Beekeepers Association. Um, and they'll put you through an exam that you do in Gormanstown during the summer where you have to go over and inspect the hive. And you what do the fuck? Exam. Yeah, you have to know your shit. You can't just have random people going around with boxes of bees. <laughs> Imagine the why anarchy. Not? Why not? Well, because they tend to swarm. That's why. <laughs> they tend to fly away. And the whole idea of beekeeping is to stop big bunches of bees <laughs> flying down the main street <laughs> it is called beekeeping after all yeah so how many bees like you don't have bees at the minute I don't have bees at the minute more's the pity it's actually funny because the day after uh, or that evening uh, I actually um, I turned around to my wife and I said oh yeah Fran is basically saying uh, he's going to talk about the bees and she was like you should get back into the bees and then the next day I was uh I was um, driving to work and I was like, I will, you know, I fucking will do it. And it was pretty much, I think you were at the start of your your Lent thing where you're saying like basically just, you know, just fucking do it and get on with it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, I fucking will. Because I have all, still have all the gear. I'm still a qualified beekeeper. You, know? you don't lose your <laughs> can't qualifications. Take, can't take can't that take away that from that me. Away from me. <laughs> so I was like, and I did enjoy it. Like, so I was like, yeah, fuck it, I will. And then, uh, so I spent the day trying to ring this guy to see if I can get bees and I couldn't get through to him so I was like oh, you're, you're, you're bee guy yeah my bee guy my bee supplier <laughs> so uh, I couldn't get through to him and I was like oh fuck what am I going to do here now so I was like oh, I'll have to find somewhere to get them and then by chance I was walking in town in Dundalk on like the Saturday or whatever it was a few days later and I bump into this guy who I haven't seen in years He's a big tall guy from Martin O'Rourke and he's like in his late 60s I'd say. And I couldn't believe it because he's another beekeeper. And I was like, Martin, I can't believe I've met you. I'm looking for bees. <laughs> and he was like, ah, I know just the man. <laughs> he goes, so surreal. He says, "You what you need to do, I was like, I know, I know, I know. I've tried to ring uh, Paul. And he says, no, don't bother with Paul. Yeah. Paul's got shit bees Paul's got shit bees essentially <laughs> he has shit bees so he's like don't bother with him he goes I was like, he's like you've dodged the bullet there don't worry about it he goes there's a guy called Tom Tom will put you in touch with this guy in Carrick Macross it's not a publicly known fact but he has 30 hives 
on the go. He's been doing it for years, but he went into hospital two weeks ago to get a stint put in his heart and they severed one of his vessels or arteries or whatever. And he can't do it anymore because he's in recuperation. So, so he has to give up the bees. So, so there's good like, bees going cheap. So there's good bees going cheap. <laughs> so he says like, yeah, you know, ring Tom. So yesterday I rang Tom and Tom was like, I'm in a train station. I'll give you a shout tomorrow. So sitting down today, Tom sends me a message. Give this guy a shout. He's got bees. <laughs> so the bees are coming back. The bees are back, baby. Yeah. Um, is it possible to take a break? Yeah, no, of I course, need, yeah. Yeah, I need to relieve myself. Yeah, no worries at all. No, no, at all. I'm going to continue talking. Sure. Because I want to do this. I want to video record this and kind of do it live. So you know where you're going. Yeah. The back door just literally inside the door. So you walk away. Yeah. Take, take yeah. as much time as you all need. Right. Sorry about the break. Not at all, no, you're grand. The bees, the bees, the bees, the bees. But uh, yeah, so I've this happened, when was it? It could have been, I can't remember who it was, but if this is the first time that you're listening to this podcast, hello, um, but I do intend to video record these live and upload them live, so you'll be able to actually watch the conversation that I'm having now, which you'll be listening to pre-recorded live. Um and if I was to be doing that, or when I will be doing that, if somebody needs to go to the bathroom, I'm going to need to basically fill the space, fill that kind of dead air. So that's what I'm going to attempt to do now while Darren goes off and relieves himself, as he puts it. But what I might do now is basically just throw in a bit of an ad for this podcast. So if you're in, what are we now? If you're an hour and a half in, if this is your first one or your second one, or if you've listened to them all, and you're enjoying these conversations, you can help to support them. And you can help by telling people about it, taking a screenshot of the Facebook thing and sending it, uh, sending it to a mate of yours and say, listen, check this out. You can share it You can on Facebook, you can share it on Instagram, like it, comment on it, review to it, subscribe to it, send me an email at imoffthelead at gmail.com if you're enjoying it. Tell me what you like about it. Tell me what you don't like about it. Tell me what you'd like to see more of, see less of. Maybe I've inspired you to do something. Hopefully I've inspired a couple more people um, to get off their holes, basically, and, and take ownership of their lives and make a difference to themselves because I keep kind of getting back to this mentality that, or this philosophy, I suppose, or this thought process that you create your own reality. So take some ownership of the life that you live at the minute. If it's If your life is in shit and you're blaming everybody around you, maybe ask yourself, you know, how much of this is my fault? And don't depress yourself too much. Try and look forward as much as you can, and don't be looking back. Whatever is in the past has happened. There's no... There's no changing that. But you can change what you do today, and that will become your new past, if that makes sense. So today is tomorrow's yesterday. So you're in control of what happens tomorrow, so maybe make a bit of a plan. Maybe pick something that's happening in your life at the minute. Maybe there's something that's bugging you. Maybe you want to write a fucking blog. Maybe you've been writing a blog. Maybe you'd like to set up a podcast. It genuinely could not be fucking easier. If you're thinking of setting up a podcast, send me an email. I'm off the lead at gmail.com. And a couple of people have actually asked me about it. And I've written back to them each individually. But what I must do is actually do up a template like a fucking 10 step process of what it takes to record it 
and then to upload it to all the different platforms it really really couldn't be easier Darren I might actually ask if we get time for it or if it comes up or if we think about it what's involved in actually writing a blog you know what does he write it on how do you upload it how do you share it to different sites how are you going to get people to read it and we're back in the room so sorry about that if that got a little bit waffly Darren you sorry. met a man and that man had some good bees that man has good bees and there is good bees and bad bees and what's the difference <clears throat> like what what are you looking to avoid or what do you want well you're looking to avoid being stung seriously like yeah that's the, that's the essential well you don't want them to swarm either that's the main thing and what so what's swarming so swarming is essentially where they up sticks and fuck off right yeah so yeah I don't know you, without getting into too much detail uh, the bees generally when the queen gets weak will decide to replace the queen but the queen is the, the main one that lays all the eggs in the hive and produces more and more bees so when she gets weak or or she starts slowing down laying eggs they'll say okay we need a new queen to succeed the old one and they'll force the queen into laying an egg for a new queen and once that is capped and ready to go uh, once the, basically the egg is sealed up and ready to go they'll say right half half of you guys gather all your food and let's fuck off and we'll we'll go find somewhere else to live and that's swarming and leave that queen to raise this new hive and that's swarming so when they swarm you only lose half your bees yeah generally it's yeah 50% losses yeah but you're left with a shitty queen no no you're left with a brand new queen but oh so the old queen flies off no the, old, the old queen, queen goes yeah the old queen will leave with half the hive with half the hive and has left like a queen larvae has left like a queen larvae yeah in a in a specific kind of cell in the hive so the cells are where basically they lay the eggs. So you ever see them like the hexagons? Like you always okay. see it on the on the jar of honey. There's hexagons. Yeah, yeah. So bees build everything in hexagons because it's the most efficient use of space. Right. So they lay these eggs into a hexagon, but they'll in general there's the different types of hexagons that they'll they'll build. So they'll they'll build a bigger one for a queen because queen is the biggest bee in the hive. So they need to extend it so they bring it out in what's called a queen cup. Okay. They'll lay it in, get her to lay in there. So basically push her in and say, you there, you're not doing the business anymore. Lay an egg in here. <laughs> We're going to get a new one so you can fuck off. And when you, this guy who's going to get you some good bees. He's going to get me some good bees, yeah. What does he get you? Like a queen or like like 10 uh, bees okay, or yeah. what? Yeah, this is the thing. I could wait till, till May or June and get... Uh, a what's called a nucleus of bees which is like a mini hive okay um so you don't really want you don't want bees to you don't want your bees to swarm so you can keep your if you monitor your hive properly and you can monitor and see that they're building these little cups in the hive and they're preparing to rear a new queen you can split that hive yourself and keep your old queen and keep the 50% of bees that would have flew, flown away take that queen cup out of the hive take a proportion of the bees as well put them into a small hive a small nuke which is probably half the size and that queen cup will then hatch a queen and if the few bees that are in there with her will raise a new hive so essentially you've got two hives for the price of one right your old queen okay and uh, like when the hive sorry uh, yeah sorry to get back to your point 
what am I getting off this guy? Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> Completely just went. No, no, you're grand, you're grand. But yeah, I, go, I could buy a nuke then. I could buy that nuke, which would be probably maybe 10 to 20,000 bees in the nuke. Okay, what money price wise, what are you talking? About 120 euro, I think. 120 euro for how many bees? For about 20,000 bees. So for 120 euro, so if I wanted to fuck over somebody, I could for 120 euro buy 20,000 bees and chuck them in their letterbox. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing Seems like the series value. That's the thing about the association. They're not just going to sell it to you because. Yeah, but I know you. You yeah. could get me 120,000 bees, could you? That's great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to the beekeepers of this country. And listen, before I get before I, f- I forget, because this this is something that I want to bring up, and you nail it there, like the, the beekeepers of this country. You don't strike me as your typical beekeeper. You might be you might be the pigeonhole cyclist, but I mean. Do you not have to be 80 before you're allowed own bees? That is a good generalisation of beekeepers, that they're all retired. And you wouldn't be far off the point. Yeah, they are. They're all in their 60s. And why is that? I've gone to, I've gone to, I've gone to bee conferences. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the thing. I get obsessed with these things. I got obsessed with beekeeping. I yeah, never co- do coke. <laughs> never do coke yeah that's another story I happened I happened, I, happened. <laughs> I tried coke once for 10 years <laughs> but you see that's like you, you'd be you be a great candidate for a fucking really good heroin addiction I, what, oh, like, yeah. you know that that obsessiveness like yeah I uh, th- sometimes I do worry that like you know if I ever fell on a needle of heroin <laughs> because I won't actively put it into my arm because I've, I've, I'm so squeamish and I fucking hate that shit yeah yeah but if I fell on a needle <laughs> I could become if addicted very quickly so, so bee yeah, conferences there, there are bee conferences there are bee conferences who knew massive bee conference in Gormanstown College every summer right which is where people do their preliminary exams and qualify to become beekeepers there's another one up in just outside Belfast there's another one up there. These are like two, three day events where you could stay the night and all that. I haven't stayed the night, but I've gone to the conferences and like where people just come in and they give lectures on beekeeping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Sorry, why, how did I get talking about bee conferences? No, no, just, I don't know. Just it come up. It doesn't matter. That's the, the nature of these conversations. Yeah. They tend to go all over the place. I just don't want to ramble. You know, like, you know. You're grand, you're grand, you're grand. You're not rambling at all. But on beekeeping, so you're going to buy, what was it, what did you say for 120 quid it'll get you 20,000 yeah, bees? You can, you can buy a nuke uh, and generally they do them with beginner courses, you'd say. You do your beginner course. So there'll be people up in RD now with the Loud Beekeeper Association doing their course and they'll go probably once a week or once every two weeks or something and they'll learn about bees and they'll learn about beekeeping. And then at the end of that course, they'll be given a nuke of bees to bring home to rare as their own, I suppose. And they'll probably pay 120 euro. But that you won't get those because swarming season isn't until May or June, really. So... I don't want to wait till May or June to get a shitty 20,000 bees because I've been there. I've done it. I've had a full hive. I don't need a beginner kit. Yes. I want honey this year. So if you get like one of those, you'll get honey, but you won't get much this year because the hive is not at its full strength coming into the summer. Okay. Yes, of course. Yeah. So it's, not, it's not hitting the summer running. Basically. So that's why I went on the hunt for a hive. I want a hive. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't know. I'll probably pay more. Maybe I won't pay more because... Uh, because this guy needs to get rid of him. He needs to sell 
and I don't want to buy. <laughs> <laughs> and right, so just getting onto what we're talking about here, these these nukes are are these things that you'd put in the boot your the boot of your car, or do you need a forklift to lift them up? Like, no, or, or no, what no. are you talking? They're probably about? about a foot and a half long by about uh, half a foot wide. And there's twenty thousand bees in it. Or yeah. 20,000 bee eggs or yeah, larvae or what? 16,000 bees. to be bee larvae in there as well. And a queen. And are they in the fridge? Are they kind of semi-hibernated or what? Like? No, they, you know, they just keep them... They're in there outside. buzzing away like fuck or... Yeah. So when you transport them... When you transport bees, you have to transport them three miles at a time. So three miles at yeah. a time. So if the guy who's selling you bees is three miles within your three-mile radius, you have to move that hive outside three-mile radius before you can bring it to your house because I don't know they have not that they have memory but they have like a collective memory of like landmarks and stuff like that so they can tell okay this is my locality I know how to get back to my hive so if you move it within the three miles the bees will become disorientated won't know how to and they'll if you if you move a hive in your back garden say for example yeah and you move it ten foot overnight and then you open it up and say off you go they'll fly out and they'll come back and they'll congregate back at the original spot where the beehive was where the beehive was not where the be- beehive now is clearly yeah. 10 foot to one yeah. side so you, when you get these nukes you seal them up you put them in the back of your car you bring them home provided you're three miles away from where you got it and then you'll open it up the next day and they'll go out and they'll orientate themselves around the new area three in the, within the three mile radius Okay, so sorry, now I'm with you. So you go to Cork and you pick up one of these nu- nukes. Yeah, so say, like, I'm going to get one from Carrick and Cross. I'm fine. But if you got one from down the road, you couldn't just move it to your house. Okay, sorry. In, in my ignorance, I thought that you you could only drive down the road three miles and you had to fucking stop over or something and oh, <laughs> drive no, three no, miles no, no. the next three day. I was like, what the no, fuck? No, you can move them outside a three-mile radius, but you have to... Uh, yeah, if you're moving within three miles... You have to move them out of the three mile radius. Okay, so you, so okay, right. Let me get this my head around this. I'm 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 going to buy bees off you. You yes. live a mile down the road from me. Yes. So you drive the mile to my house. You collect the hive of bees, and then you can't go back to your house or to, to my house, say, because they'll just find their way home. So yeah. you have to do what? Uh, you would ideally find a location or. What you would do is, when they're ready to swarm, take the nuke and put the nuke in your house. Straight away. Right. Because that's a new, basically, hive or whatever. Okay. Because that's an unhatched queen. And, yeah, eventually you'll sort itself out. Okay. There's a lot of talk these days about, you know, there being no more bees. Generally speaking, like, you know, we're losing our pollinators. It's to do with the with our Wi-Fi and our fucking 4G networks. And you hear a lot yeah. of all this stuff. Is, like, you that's a, a beekeeper, like, is there anything in that or not? Or uh, is that wild bees? Is that a different thing? Are, like, the bees that you have, are they native to Ireland? Are they? Yeah, the ones I had before were a native black bee to Ireland, which is Apis mellifera mellifera, which is basically the Irish black bee. Right. Um, well, not the Irish black bee. It's the European black bee, I suppose. Kind of native to Northern Europe. Um, they're generally more acclimatised to cooler climates and stuff like that. Right. But there is other different strains. Like there's like an Italian bee. There's like a Buckfast bee, which is reared by the, the monks in Buckfast Abbey. Fuck off. Yeah, there is actually bee breeders who will breed out certain characteristics and traits from bees 
and uh, basically like so if they have a, a hive that keeps swarming all the time they won't breed that hive they'll just get rid of it yes so they'll breed different characters like they don't swarm and stuff like that so the guys in Buckfast Abbey would have reared these bees sorry am I getting off the point again no 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 go on ahead you were saying about bees generally being in trouble there is not a lot there isn't a lot of wild bees especially in this country right and generally I think the thinking is that there is no wild bees in the country. Yeah, because I wouldn't know a bee if I now, saw I'm talking one. About honey, I'm talking about honeybees. I'm not talking about bumblebees and, and the likes of that. Right. The main reason why there's no wild bees in this country is because some English prick brought his hive over on holidays uh, to his summer house in the west of Ireland and his hive was infested with what's called Varroa destructor. Varroa destructor? Yeah, which is a mite. Okay. A parasite that grows on the bees. Well, it doesn't grow on the bees. It leeches off the bees and it grows in the hives and it eats their wings and it kills them. So, uh, yeah, this prick came over and brought his hive over and infected the whole country. And we know this. there's a specific time and place that this actually happened, is it? Like, yeah, they can trace it back, yeah. Somehow, and when was this in, you know, 1472 or, you know, six weeks know. ago or what? It was uh, sometime, I think, in the 90s or late 90s. I'm not too sure. Right, right. The exact dates, or who he was. So but if I find him, <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting this guy that you got the number of today. Yeah. He when you say he has bees, he has what a hive or several so hives. The guy, or he's what? the guy with thirty hives who can't look after them anymore. Oh, sorry. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so, so where do you put thirty hives? Like, I don't want thirty. I just want one. Okay. And my in my mind's eye, when I think of like a beehive that a beekeeper would have. I'm thinking about something the size of an undercounter fridge, there thereabouts. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't be too far off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah and it kind of typically white, kind of like a little with a little pitched roof on it. And uh, you're thinking all the Americans. You're really watching too much telly for now. I must. Well, I must be. <laughs> but like, what, what? You can. You can. You can buy. Be, you can buy hives like that, and and that's that's fine. Like you can get kind of more decorative stuff and like that. Uh, there's certain types of hives. There's one called commercial, there's one national. Generally, all the beekeepers in Ireland use a national, which is basically like a wooden box, like a, a crate. So you'd start off with what's called a brood box, which is where the queen lays all the eggs. Okay. And then you would uh, put a, a guard up on top of that, like a, a sheet that is wide enough for a worker bee to get up, but not wide enough for the queen to get up. Uh, so the queen can't lay eggs into your honey. So when you're eating your spoonful of honey, you're not eating a lot of fucking bee eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have your, what's called your supers on top of them. So you have your brood box, your queen excluder, and then your supers. And your supers are where you get all your honey for harvesting. And then you can stack up your supers. The accordance is the, the crop is getting better and better. You'd stack up. So you could have... You could have a hive that's like six or seven foot high, depending okay. on the summer. Like, you can get pretty high. Like, generally or in different areas. Like, if you have a lot of rape seed being grown or whatever you call that's it, that's the yellow f- fields, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a funny story. I was actually at a conference before, and uh, one of the L guys turned around to a woman beekeeper from down the country. There's like, women beekeepers. Yeah, there is. <laughs> and he, tur- he turned around to her, and straight up he goes to her. How is your area for rape? <laughs> <laughs> Only at a bee conference. Only at a bee joke. conference. It's a bee it's joke. A bee <laughs> joke. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, rapeseed, they love that shit. 
They love it. Well, for obvious reasons, it's a fucking field of flowers, essentially. Yeah. So you tend to get a lot of honey very early in the year from rape. Right, and presumably then you would position your hive somewhere where yeah. you knew there was yeah. going to be well, a... Any of the guys who really want to sell their, hi- sell their honey would generally position their hives near rape fields. Okay, now getting on to selling your honey, can you have bees in like a warehouse and have sugar water sprayed onto the floor? Do you, do you know that kind of way? Like a, like a just... factory farm bees? Uh, no. Is there, like there is factory there is like basically big commercial beekeepers like in the in the US and stuff like that. And yeah, so like hundreds your, of hives. Your, like your jars of honey that like you can you can go out and buy like honey is commercially available. Do you yeah. know that kind of way? So where does that honey come from? It's Argentina. not from Okay. Generally comes from Argentina. And is that because Argentina has a hundred thousand beekeepers or it's it's because they have like super hives or, or what is it? Yeah, they probably have a lot of beekeepers. I don't know, but it generally it does come from Argentina. It's imported from Argentina. And uh, you get generally get people who say like, "Oh, I don't like honey; it tastes shit." Like, but it's because it's just basically honey harvested. Like it's outdoors. Like bees don't. You can't just put them in a factory. And the, like they have, they it all comes from plants basically. Like it's all nectar converted, taken in, regurgitated, cooled down, all the moisture taken out of it, and basically stored in in a hive to kind of mature. In Argentina, I don't know. They maybe have loads of beekeepers or whatever. They'd have big commercial beekeepers, but they would harvest in bulk, stick it in a big vat of stuff, and send it over to Boyne Valley Honey and Drahada or whatever. Yeah. And they would basically, yeah, throw it into jars and sell it. And but people would generally say they don't like it. A lot of people say, "Oh, I don't like honey. It's too whatever. It's a rotten taste off it." But that honey that you're tasting, that you're buying off the shelf in Dunn stores or, or Tesco, has been heat treated, not to crystallize. So essentially, it's burnt honey. It's been pasteurized as well. Has it? Is honey pasteurized or is that? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't need it. Okay. Uh, it's it, it gets heat treated, so it doesn't crystallize, so it doesn't go hard. Um. So if you leave a jar of honey in a press for a while, you'll see it. It'll crystallize. Yeah, and, and yeah, I've had that. Little kind of bits in it, and if you heat it up again, they'll go away. But if you heat up honey and that happens, like you can heat it to a point where it won't do that. And generally those jars of honey that are on the shelves are heated up too much. They're burnt to the point that they won't go back to that crystallized state. So essentially you're getting burnt honey, which tastes not great. Yeah, because there is a burnt taste of honey, yeah. I think, isn't there? Very, of the very sensitive palate, right? <laughs> just like, don't. I'm a, but, I'm a, I'm a texture man because I have practically no sense of taste. If you want to know what real honey tastes like, go into the shop in, in, in a shopping centre next to nature and there's a guy, I think his name's Durkin from Boromine and he sells his honey in there. And once you taste proper honey from Well, I, I, I'm one step ahead of you because you probably know him. Seamus Currens? I don't know. There's a lot I've of been out of the beast circle for a while. <laughs> <laughs> He's the, the new kid on the block. Uh, yeah, there's a guy called Seamus Currens. He's out uh, Rakeni direction. And uh, his son, Mark, might have been in your year. Um, but right. anyway, um, Seamus Kearns is a beekeeper out in Rakeni and he sells it in the shop in Wilkinstown. So I actually do, I'd be one of the few people who do buy actual, genuine honey, honey. Like, Yeah, prop, proper yeah. honey. Like. Um, because I'm a big advocate of kind of supporting the things that you'd like and to see more of. It. and. It's far lighter. 
It's far different. It's just yeah, it's, it's, it's a different a animal altogether. Different like. gravy. As it's different like. gravy. <laughs> That's but the it is. It the is far nicer. Like it's so much nicer. Like, and with your hive uh, that you're hoping to get, how many bees is going to be in this thing? Uh, probably about sixty thousand. Okay, and what like kg or pounds or of honey are you looking to get? Or because uh, you'll be probably, up and running when you get. Yeah, this. I probably hope to get about thirty pounds a year. Okay, 15, ki- 15 kilos, fuck, okay. Yeah, I've got that before a few times. See, my problem when I when I started was, I got this notion in my head, you know, I could have 20 hives, I could have 30 hives, I could be beekeeper full time. I never really saw it as kind of a hobby. I was like, I, I got, this is what I'm going to do. But that, now wouldn't, I'm at, that wouldn't be your obsessiveness no, coming into play, would it? <laughs> yeah, it is, again. But now it's like, now I'm at a more mature, I can kind of say, well, I would hope I would say it. Like I just want one. I can only really afford to have one because of the kids in the house and stuff like that. You can't have like twenty fucking beehives at the back garden and two year old running around. That was another thing I was gonna say. Like, will this be in your back garden? Yes. Yeah. And like have you got, you know, an eighteen acre back garden or no, what? Like, I don't. No, I don't. I've a I've probably a back garden similar to yourself in size. I don't know. I'm never good at acres and size and all that kind of a stuff. Good, a good size lawn, basically. Do you know what yeah, I mean? a good size lawn. A tennis okay. court size lawn. Uh, yeah. There, thereabouts. Yeah, I could put it I could put it inside. But the thing with bees, if you have one hive, generally bees, when they come out, they don't come out and go fucking everywhere. And they can go, ah, like in a big swarm. And we're here. We're coming to get you. They will generally come out and you'll see them spiral and they'll go 15, 20 foot up in the air and then they'll fly off to wherever it is an abundance of nectar. Yeah, meadow or a rape field yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So they'll fly off and they'll find that. And so then, if, if I call up to your house, let's say, and your two-year-old is having a birthday party and my three-year-old arrived, would I know that you had bees there if you, if I couldn't see the beehive? Say, would there be bees around? Do you know? Like, do your neighbours know you keep bees if you had the beehive out of sight? No, I wouldn't tell them. I wouldn't tell them because but if, because if you tell them, they instantly they'll see they them. go. I don't want bees. I don't want. They, what they think is, I don't want bees coming in attacking me in my back garden. Yeah. Now that could happen if we got a swarm, but the idea is not to get them to swarm. But it's very rare. Like, and even when they swarm, they're not re- aggressive because generally they only attack when there's something to defend. And when they're swarming, they don't have a home to defend. They're yes. looking for a new home. So in theory, you could stand inside a swarm of bees and not be stung. Yes. Um, like Provided ever, they're not defending seen, something. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen the guys who cover themselves in bees? Yeah, yeah. Like, like a record. A foot thick of bees yeah. on them. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Generally, they put like a queen pheromone on them and the bees just come They feel them. safe. Yeah. So does it, they won't attack. So. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, you're grand. So once you, you're going to go and get this beehive, you know, tomorrow or next week or whenever, you're yeah. going to drop it back in, in your house. They'll scout around a three mile radius and they'll come back and, and everything's going grand. Yeah. Day to day, like what's the kind of, like what's entailed in beekeeping aside from, you know, passing the test and getting your hands on some fucking good quality bees? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Well, you don't, that's the thing. They, like, they really look after themselves. Like, okay. Like, you, there's, they're very. It's a very low maintenance hobby, like which is probably why it suits retired people and people in their eighties, because like at the height of the season, you, you need to check it once a week. But that's the most, like during, once a week. Yeah, in the winter you could check it once a month. You don't even have to. And what are you even looking for? Like what? You're, what does a check entail? You're checking basically that your queen is still there, your queen is still laying eggs. So you check for small little tiny white dots in the cells. 
And sorry, but presumably the queen is buried in the middle of this hive thing. Yeah. And how do you, like, have you, is there a camera or do you lift the lid off or? <laughs> yeah, you know, well, yeah, you have your bee suit and you go out with your bee suit and you have your full, like, fencing mask kind of thing. Yeah, the whole lot, yeah. And you go out in your spacesuit and uh, you open up the hive. And then, so the inside the hive, you have frames or different kind of slats, basically, where you can basically lift them up and view the bees, so like a panel. Yeah, kind of vaguely yeah. familiar with that from yeah, TV. If you ever yeah, Google it, you'll see like uh, you'll see like what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, so I'm looking for the queen in there. So I'll pick it up and I look on site. Now, when you get a, a new queen, they're generally marked. And when I say by marked, died by the guy who sold it to you, or they have a, a there's a little pen you can buy. It's like a little kind of uh, paint pen, and you there's the queen is like a. A bigger back on her and you can easily if you can trap her in like a what they call it they call this thing a crown of thorns which is basically like a mesh so you can push it down on her so you won't move and then you put a dot <laughs> yeah. you put a dot on her back yeah basically tie her down put yeah, a dot on her a back crown of thorns pin her down yeah. get out your pen yeah dot on her back a little bit of kind of tipex or, or luminous paint or something that you can actually see so then when you open up the hive the next time you see this little a luminous pink or white dot running around the hive and you go boom there's my queen and aside from that dot that you put them on are they more or less indistinguishable from the rest of them oh yeah they're all the same colour and there's 60,000 of them fuck like, again again this is just my I've been a, I've been standing over a hive for nearly 30-40 minutes looking for a queen because if you don't have a queen you're fucked basically you right just start making plans to actually replace her and what does that entail so you go looking you can't find it you say to yourself oh fuck she's gone yeah she's gone has she left behind a queen cell so has she left behind a queen to be reared and how do you even know that you look uh, for a bigger hexagon for, piece yeah, than most essentially yeah yeah. you look for like what's called a queen cup or a yeah queen cup essentially yeah and uh, you'll see if that's there if that's there and you can't find her well don't really worry but keep looking for her because if they haven't swarmed and she's they're hanging around for something yeah if, if they haven't swarmed the chances are she's still in there somewhere right so keep looking so you're looking basically for eggs you're looking for queen cells you're looking for your queen and you're generally looking to see the health of the hive like is there like any kind of diseased looking bees in there and when you're going out in your big fucking bee suit thing and am I right in saying like you have the Kind of like a net all the way around your your head, like yeah. that's the stereotypical thing that I'm thinking of. That's, that's it, yeah. what you have. That's it. Yeah. And your neighbours don't know you have bees. Yeah, they can't see me. I've got big trees around the house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, in relation to passing the test, though, like I mean, if you're only checking it once a week, once a month in the winter, you know, yeah. they're fucking your queen has been marked. You know, from what you've said, there doesn't seem to be that much in it. Is the exam hard to pass, or are you only barely scratching the surface of what you need to know to be even able to start, or what? Like uh, the exam isn't too hard to pass. You can do a lot of anatomy in it. Like it's like reading oh, okay. biology. Cool. So you learn about the parts of the bee and all that kind of stuff. But then yeah. you learn about the the bee's life cycle, and you need to know the life cycle essentially so you know when to expect the bees to swarm, because you need to know the amount of days that it will take for the queen to hatch. And then, or to seal up the the hive, like they basically when they lay an egg, it turns into a larva. A larva turns into a whatever you call it, a 
pupa. Is it? Yeah, 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 pupa, I think, yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, and then they, they... So the lady egg turns into a larva, they seal, seal the cell. Yeah. The larva turns into a pupa, turns into a bee, and then comes out. But when they seal that cell, that's when they'll swarm. Right. So you need to know your days that that's going to happen. So you need to, so that's why you check every week because it's seven and a half days before they seal a queen cell. Right. So you know, if I can catch this before the seven and a half days before they seal that. Yeah. Then I have a good chance of stopping them from swarming. And that's the name of the game, basically. That and that's why it's called beekeeping. Beekeeping, yeah, exactly, yeah. You're trying to keep them in one place and stop them from swarming. So yeah, the exam is kind of, you do kind of, uh, you do an exam and then you do a practical test where somebody comes over to you and opens up a hive and says, can you point out this to me and that to me? Um, basically, if you suspected your hive had X disease, what would you be looking for? Kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like a driver's license for bees. Like you need yeah, to know no, of course. What, you do need to know what you're looking at. Now, there is stuff you can go higher than that. Like I've got like a preliminary certificate you can go and you become a bee master, they call it. <laughs> I swear to God, you can do like bee breeding courses and stuff. Yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 of course. You can go. I don't know you can actually get a degree in it. I think over in the UK. And why is it such an old person's thing? Because like I'm, I'm fascinated. I love the idea of having a hive. And again, if I'm thinking it yeah. and you're fucking doing it, then you know why isn't it? Why isn't there someone somewhere? Because like you're the not not only are you the only person that I know that does it. I've never spoken to anybody else who knew somebody who did it. <laughs> Do you know that kind of way? Like, yeah. I, I'll say it to someone, like, you've come up a couple of times over the years, like, oh, yeah, fucking mate. Like, we'd be talking about people's odd hobbies or something. And I'd say, oh, yeah, mate of mine actually fucking keeps bees. No fucking way is the answer that you get. <laughs> Especially when they tell them that you, yeah. you're fucking my age. Like, what are you, fucking mid-30s? Like? Yeah, 35, yeah. Um, and it's like the, the lads, so you'd know a lot of beekeepers, or would you? The older guys. Yeah, I know all the old guys, yeah. Right, so how if you're if the average beekeeper is eighty, say, um it's it's like, what, guys, 60, 60, 70, generally 60? guys who are retired and they're looking for something to do with their time. But that's what but I was just going to ask you. Strenuous. So they say, Oh look, you know what? Maybe I'll take up beekeeping. Because that's what I was going to ask. The guys that are in their sixties and seventies who are beekeepers, are they beekeepers forty years, which meant they started when they were twenty or thirty. Uh, but they're so, not well, you get into it when you're older, do you? There is a few. There is a few. But generally it's a retired person's hobby. So you'll be like the like fucking my, my, the way I got into it was my wife's father retired and he took up the bees. Right. So but he had only started that before we met just before we met. So then when we when I met him, he was like, Oh, I'm a beekeeper. And like yourself, I was like, No way. This is pretty cool. And yeah. he bring, brought me outside, put me in the space suit, and he was like, oh, check this out. And I was like, yeah, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> I so yeah, so then I got into it that way. Like, But yeah, everybody is in there. I don't know what it is. I don't, I just, I, I don't know what it is that wider sold. Like, it's a strange I've, one, like, isn't it? I've gone, like, like those conferences I've gone to, I've easily been the youngest person at the whole conference. By a mile, like? By a mile. And there is the odd woman, as you mentioned. There is the odd woman. Because yeah. again, that's just this misogynist coming out of me. But uh, like, what what's the ratio? Is it literally like a hundred to one, or is I it a thousand to one? A thousand to one. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being a bit like. No, but I mean, you've been to the conferences. I mean, if there's only one person there there's and there's hundreds many, of there's men, not like that many. There's a lot of old men. But it's it's gas though, because when you say a beekeeper, and like in my mind's eye. 
you know, you think of an old man. Well, it's an old man, absolutely. It's not even a young man or a man general. It's a, an old man. Yeah, and I suppose that's probably like I when I was doing it, I kind of like, like, why am I doing this? I have, <laughs> I have got years left in me. But the cool thing about that, though, you saying that you've got years left in you, is in thirty years, when you're still a relatively young beekeeper in beekeeping yeah, fucking yeah. land, you'll have fucking thirty years experience. True. Like, is there a beekeeper in Ireland that has 30 years' experience? Ah, oh, there would be, yeah. There's a guy up outside Donnellier called Owen McGillicutta. He's like the king of the bees. What age is he, though? He's in his uh, 40s, I'd say. Oh, fuck. Yeah. He is bee royalty in this country. What's his name again? Owen McGillicutta. Owen McGillicutta. And yeah. has he, He's like, a Facebook the... page or a website or...? Uh, he probably does have a, a website or a Facebook page. I don't know. He's a very kind of, like, of the earth kind of man. His beard, his tin, wears woolly jumpers. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, an old soul. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. But Born his, forty. But his dad, like, is like Michal McGillicutter, who was like basically like he's like a, the god of beekeepers. In the country. <laughs> like, but that's so cool. Yeah, like. And he's like now the god. He's becoming the god. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah, he's a, he's the, he is like the don, and he, he's gone over to London and won like the London Honey Show, which is like the biggest honey show in the world. No way. The whole wide world. Yeah. That is so fucking cool, though. Yeah. And again, the beauty of having people like yourself on there, like you're obviously in the you're in the cycling loop, you're now in the fucking blogging uh, loop, and you're obviously in the the B loop. But there's people listening to this going, "Fucking what? Like this is fucking mad in a, in a good way, yeah. like you know, like this guy is world renowned as a beekeeper, yeah. And no one would ever have heard of him, not in a not if you live to be a million years, unless you stumble across this podcast for whatever reason, like. Yeah. World class, like. Oh, he is world class. And where where is he based? In Dunlear. Down the fucking road. Down like. the road, yeah. It never ceases to amaze me the amount of like world class athletes or beekeepers or you know physicists or poets or whatever. They're all you know down the road. Like when I started my business, I had to buy um, kind of punnets for for the packaging. There's a crowd in in Ballycool and yeah, Blanche yeah. to do that. I had to get the compost. I get that delivered from Bordenamona. I had to get this. I had to get that. I had to get all these different things. And there's just there's all these businesses just around the corner from you you can that's mad couple that with the fucking internet you can do anything you want to do like yeah like it's because people people just need their eyes open to what's on their doorstep really yeah like. you'd be surprised what's around you like like it's, it's mad and we I've had a huge problem with the media and I don't listen to the news I don't watch watch the news I don't listen to the radio I don't buy newspapers I just I find all of that just fucking nonsense and one of the upsides of that is it gives you the opportunity to find out about actual things that are in your locality and could affect your actual life. Do you yeah, know I I, yeah, I kind of agree with you in a way. Um, I don't mind the news. I like the news. Like oh, look, I like some people love it. Like. But, but, but at the, same, but at the same time... What's going on? At the same time, I think there's a lot of news that's been put out there that really doesn't really affect me. And like, there's a lot of stuff that people are getting annoyed about and kind of angry about, but it doesn't really affect them. Like, I don't need to know that. Like, I don't really need to know about Donald Trump, do I? N- not on the air every hour. No, but like, like stuff, I, I know who Donald Trump oh, is. But like, do you know what stuff, I mean? But maybe because the world's getting smaller and media's everywhere. But like, there's stuff that really doesn't concern me. But it's been pushed out all the time, and I think there's a kind of like, oh, people like, oh, I don't know, like there would have been killings in in foreign places before but you would have never heard of it because it's not pumped into they're not constantly looking for news everywhere 
Yeah, no, of course. Like the news, there was, I, I think there was a time when the news was maybe 15, 20 minutes and then they're like, okay, yeah, off to the weather. Now it's a full hour. So yeah, they're constantly yeah. looking for stories. But sure, it's, it's, it's a full hour every hour. Yeah. Do I you know. like annoy? Like, I don't know. People are getting outraged like on, on the likes of Twitter again. Like People get outraged at stuff that really doesn't concern them, to be honest. And I think there's a, a real problem with that. No, big time. You're, you're tuning into the misery of 7 billion people. That's that's how I feel. Twitter is the biggest argument in the world. <laughs> I, I am on it. I follow a couple of people on it, but I don't really get into. See, it, that's a funny one. Like I follow half a dozen different people on Twitter, but I don't see this thing that you're talking about. Now I'm not saying it's not there because it's well renowned that Twitter is just a bi- the world's biggest argument. But why am I missing all that? Is it because of the people uh, I maybe follow? Maybe it's or? the people you follow. Like maybe like. Like I follow a lot of cycling and stuff like that, so you see like guys getting popped for doping and stuff like that, and then people are like, "Oh no, you're talking shit," basically, and then people get so angry and like trying to defend their points of view and stuff like that. Yeah, maybe of course. it's me. Maybe I gravitate toward that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've tried to move away from it. I try not to get engaged in in arguments and stuff. Like that. What do you like with social media in general? Uh, I've tried to quit, but. Most cycling events are through Facebook and stuff like that. So yeah, of course. I say, oh no, I'll stay on for that. But I could, I could probably find out about it some other way. But yeah. I don't know. Because you're going to jump into the social media world with, I kinda, with, I the, with the blog. I am, yeah. And to be honest, the first thing I did when I launched it is I set up a Facebook page. Yes. I don't mind social media. Like, I don't really know. I think... It, it will eventually be abused and stuff like that. It probably is being abused now. But like, I look like anything. it takes time to kind of set for these things to kind of settle down and like I don't know, find their way. I suppose people start to stop. Like I'll make an example: Bebo. Yes, Bebo? I do. I do. Yeah. Well, Bebo got to the point where people were just fucking filling it with shit. Yeah, like absolute crap. I remember my sister's Bebo account, and it was just unreadable. <laughs> and then it just died off and then it gets replaced by something that's a bit cleaner like Facebook gets filled with crap and then Twitter comes along and Twitter's a bit cleaner and then Twitter gets filled with crap and then Instagram comes along and that's a little bit cleaner so it's all kind of nearly evolving into something that's a bit cleaner and less crap I, do you know what I think I have a feeling that what it will evolve into is people like me and you I think might be ahead of the curve there We've we kind of create our own platform. So presumably your blog will be on your website. You'll have like a Facebook page, Twitter account, and like it, it'll be on kind of everything and nothing. Yeah. But it'll be yours. Well, Facebook and Twitter and all that for me is basically promotion. Yes. Because that's where people are looking. So yes, it's where people. There's are. no point in me setting up a website. And well, how do I tell people about it? Yeah, how you get you one view. I'm not sticking month, it in the like. yellow pages anymore. Like, or sticking <laughs> in the red book. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we're we're moving towards exactly that. And the way people will find out about it is people will WhatsApp their mate the link to your website. Yeah. And that that link will be saved. I think we'll I think we'll revert back to this idea of of sharing things amongst ourselves. Like back in the day when before you could like download music or before there was digital music, the way you found out about new bands was a mate of yours lent you the C D. Do you know the kind of yeah, way? Yeah. And in in a way, I think people will send you the the email address or the the website address or whatever it is. Like I'd like to think that we're moving back to a, like a hyper personalized society in a way, because at the minute it's too bland and broad and well, meh. yeah. You look on Facebook now; there's nothing there personal anymore. No, like you know, like back when it started, it was kind of like people would put up a status saying 
just went out for a jog today. Felt amazing. Or whatever. Yeah. Something like that. Talking about themselves. Yes. Now they're just sending a link to a YouTube video of some lad in America running. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Share, yeah. Oh, I saw this. I like that. Yeah. And now that's everybody else can see what I like. Nobody's actually putting up any status. It's just very few pictures even go up on there anymore. Yeah, you you put up a, an inspirational quote or a fucking, yeah, you know, a funny like, picture yeah. or, or something like that. I don't need like to that. know everything you like. You know what I mean? Yes, way? absolutely, yeah. You know, you don't go into your press at home and go, you know, I like noodles. <laughs> and then ring up, tell your mates, you know, I like noodles. <laughs> yeah. Which ones are the cocoa ones? Yeah, cocoa noodles, they're nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but no, I think, and it's it's a good thing, we're moving moving away from kind of mass media stuff and more towards the likes of this and I think that's why podcasting is exploding and would you do a podcast would you record it would you just would you read the blog basically and upload the audio uh, no I wouldn't uh, I think it's, for the blog I think it's best put down in words um, I just I don't think it would come across better in a, in audio I think I think there is a place I actually think and I like your idea of what you're doing now, talking to normal people, I actually think there's a place for maybe tagging onto the blog conversations with people. So say conversation with a, someone who's taken up darts for the first time and going around the country playing in darts tournaments. Like, what is that like? Yeah. Or somebody who's training for a marathon. Or so, like, basically, obscure sports. And somebody's come in and say to you, you know, hey, what is this all about? Like, I'm just done with cycling. Probably not explained it greatly. I think but you, you see, probably have a better way of pulling that information out of people, but uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think there's a there's a place for that kind of thing, and a place for like that normal kind of experience, and and getting that kind of basic experience out of people. Big time, big time, and you know Pat O'Reilly, don't you? Yeah, Pat has been on before, and uh, Pat has gotten into running recently, so. I think he saw me going out running all the time and he kind of said to himself, you know, he's getting that little bit older and he's got kids and he wants to be fucking fit and healthy playing with them in, you know, 10 and 20 years time or whatever else. And yeah, and in saying that, in what you've just said there, he wants to be fit and healthy in 10 years time, he wants to be playing with his kids. Mm. That's the way other people are thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's what people want to nearly hear when when they're running. People don't want to hear, okay, yeah, I'm trying to get my times under 20 minutes. Yes, yes. Not a, well, some people may Of course, of course. It, no, and that's no slight on yourself, friend. I know you're saying that, but like that's what people I think want to hear they want to hear that somebody else has gone do you know what Jesus I have to fucking kick the fags and get out running and get fit and actually keep myself alive big time and yeah like I think Potter would be a great candidate to actually write something like that as well well Potter sent me a text message only was it yesterday the day before to say because I'll, I'll jump back to the start for, just to fill people in Potter basically started running had never run on ever like the last time he ran was with me maybe 15 years ago we ran to the shop and he puked his guts up everywhere and that was him done with running. I, I'm not a runner, Frano. 15 years later, for whatever reason, he just started. He went out the door for 10 minutes in one direction and ran back and started doing it every day. And before he knew it, he was running 5K every day. And only the day before yesterday, I think, ran out the door. And for whatever reason, didn't come, didn't go home. I think he, he did his usual 5K loop. But when he got back around to the house, he was like, ah, fuck it. And went round again and yeah, yeah. ran 10K. And he texts me because he was fucking delighted with himself as he should as he should be, and I was like, "Patter, if you want, if you do, what I said to him was, if you don't want to run the Dublin City Marathon in October, then don't run it, but don't cod yourself that you have the excuse that you couldn't run it if you wanted to run it." And I reckon the cunt is going to actually fucking enter it and do it, and that'd be a great podcast to get yeah. him on tomorrow 
and say, I fucking booked it. I fucking don't know really what I'm at. It's all a bit daunting. I'm shitting myself and it's eight months away. But for people to hear that and then to catch up with them in six months' time and go, how you, or in three months' time and go, how's the training going? Yeah, well, I did fucking 18K there the other day and I have to run 30K before I run the marathon because obviously the marathon will be the first day that he runs the 42K. Yeah. But I love the idea of thinking about yourself at your Christmas party this year. What will you be able to tell people that you've done? You know that kind of way, like what what will two thousand and eighteen yeah, yeah. have been for you? Like when you're come twenty twenty five, and somebody goes, you know, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of t- two thousand and eighteen? Like what will you be able to say, or will you be able, to, or will you just go, oh, yeah. I don't know, you know, it was two years after I got married. It snowed. It's, yeah, it snowed. Maybe you remember the snow of two thousand eighteen. Whoopty fucking do! Like you, you remember a weather event. But if you, maybe it's the first year you ran a marathon. Maybe it's the first year you remember it starting your blog. I will. I will. Do you want that kind yeah, of way? Of course, yeah. And it's uh, yeah, it's about kind of doing stuff and just yeah, making memories more or less. Big time, yeah. And being able to turn back to people and say, "Look, oh yeah, remember we did that. Remember that." And like it, that's the conversation is generally is basically recalling memories. And you're talking to people and say, "Oh yeah, you did that once, didn't you? You ran a marathon once." Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. How did that go for you? Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. But there's something, what is it about our society that we can't, like I couldn't have rang you, now maybe I could have, but I wouldn't have rang you and said, Darren, I haven't spoken to you in a year and a half and we barely know each other, but do you want to come out to my house and we'll sit down and have a fucking couple of hour conversation? Like, you know that kind of way, when you when you yeah, call it a podcast? You first I said no. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, as, as a lot of people do, I've gotten far more no's than yes's. Yeah. But yeah, it would have been weird. It's like, what are you ringing me for, friend? It would have been weird, wouldn't it? But what, what is that like? Like, it would have been weird for me to ask and it would have been weird for you to be asked. But, call it a podcast. Say you're going to record it and upload it for the world to listen to it and all of a sudden it becomes more normal. Like, what the what, what is that? Like, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's something then. It's And for some reason, it's nothing otherwise. It's a strange one, like. Yeah. I don't know. You kind of lost me there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a tendency to do that. I really do. But uh, listen, man, it's been an absolute fucking pleasure having you out. Before I forget, what is your the link to your blog or what would people find it under or how do they get to it? What's the Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter? Have you got all that sorted or what? Like I have, yeah, yeah. After many hours of trying to link a domain name to a WordPress website, <laughs> I can safely say now that you can go on your internet machine and type in www.uptheroad.ie or just uptheroad.ie uptheroad.ie I don't know okay. why we keep continuing with this www <laughs> every website has www why do we have to keep it God knows. That? but uptheroad.ie that'll get to the website uptheroad.ie the, presumably there Facebook, is a Facebook page up it's the just road. up the road uh, it's like facebook.com forward slash up the road up the roadie because the some roadie. other prick is taking up the road Motherfucker. <laughs> Have you an email so, address? Uh, a dedicated email address yet? Or? No, there is a contact uh, section section on the page. So if you wanted to get in touch and there's a comment section. So if you think something's good, let me know. Yeah, if no, absolutely. A bit of feedback if you don't goes think a long it's way. Good, shut the fuck, fuck up. <laughs> don't tell somebody else. I think I mentioned this in the break. I was going to ask you. I'm glad I remembered. If somebody out there is thinking about writing a blog or maybe they've written it on pen and paper, say, 
like how do you get that online like did you set you set up a wordpress account do you just go onto wordpress and select blog or what do you do like yeah pretty much yeah just open open a wordpress you just you don't have to do wordpress there's plenty of other free ones out there and free ones what's the what's the umbrella term uh, just type in blog sites like blog, blog sites, hosting, okay. blog hosting, blog sites. hosting, yeah, or so any a, web hosting site. Okay, so blog hosting or web hosting, and have a Google of that, and presumably yeah. it's as easy as setting up like a username and a password type thing. Yeah, is there more to it? Like, uh, or? well, there is, there can be more to it. You can get it. You can go as deep into that rabbit hole as you want. <laughs> but generally, yeah. to get to get started, to get started, and the websites are pretty good. Like they they'll do like a step by step part. Like they'll once you start, it'll be like okay, you've got your name now put a picture to the name and then put a tell us what your website's about and then do all these different incremental steps I know you love the incremental I do steps. love my incremental steps <laughs> but I you do. do all these little tiny little bits that builds your website for you and it guides you the whole way that's it well the good thing about WordPress is is that it guides you everywhere savage yeah so if WordPress want to uh, give me some money for that promotion <laughs> I'd be more than happy but then you, you can get into things like I just don't like the idea of having a website that's like up the road dot wordpress dot com. Yes, of course. Yeah. So I went on and bought a domain up the road dot ie. Yeah, that's the obsessive link. compulsive yeah. end you know. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> and then you can link that to your to your WordPress site and uh, but I would say if somebody's thinking of doing a blog, yeah, write commit yourself to doing ten of them. I'm not an expert. I'm only starting No this. do do what worked for you. Well what worked for me is I wrote ten of them and then send it to ten people and ask them for an opinion. And ask them 10 people to maybe send it to somebody independent as well. Nice. And see what they think. Yeah, yeah. Someone who's basically not biased, they're not going to say, you know, I like him, so I'm not going to tell him yeah, bad. Yeah, I have to sit beside him at a wedding yeah. in three months' Like, time. I sent it to one of my mates, and uh, he, he said, basically, your grammar is appalling. And it's not great. My grammar is about as good as my cyclone. <laughs> but, but he was straight cool up and said well. it. He straight up and said it, and like, and he sent it on to another guy, and that other guy came back and said, "Yeah, I like the blog, but the grammar is terrible." Right. But like, like that as well. Nobody's really gonna come back and say, "Like this is shit," because everybody wants you. If you, that's what you want to do, generally people will be encouraging to do it. Like, yeah, I, I'd be a know? big proponent of doing things badly, unless you're gonna rob a bank or murder something. <laughs> yeah. People generally want to see you do well and do good things. Well. Yeah, no, of course, absolutely, and, and whatever makes you happy. If you're surrounded with people who don't want that for you, surround yourself with different people. Do you know what I mean? Like if if unless you're unless you're surrounded with people who genuinely want the fucking best for you, you're like you're fucked if you've got that around you. And you well, need most, to, pe- most people do. Like, I think I don't so, know yeah. anybody who would like to see me do badly. Yeah, but you're a kind of a you're a positive guy. You're you know the kind of way you're you've a lot going for you. There's there's a lot of people out there I think that don't have as much going for them say and who are they kind of I don't know they they hang around with people who put them down all the time. There are people out there like that, and loads of them, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You need to get yourself out of that environment. Then. No, big time. Surround yourself with positive th- people and listen to positive people and read positive people and be a little bit more fucking positive. But, Just uh, do what you want. Do, do what, what you want. You Follow your bliss. Do what makes you happy. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, on that note, Mr. McCann, absolute pleasure. Best of luck with the blog, and I'll chat you again. Thanks, Fernando. Thank Cheers. You.